0: Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns don't miss our special mother's day deals save big on the season's most beautiful trends for a limited time get up to 50% off by going to bluenile.com that's bluenile.com this is a character in smallman podcast on 101 ESPN <laughs>
2: Morning, everyone, and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on One Hundred and One ESPN. It is seven oh one. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Happy Friday, Happy Battlehawks Day, Michelle.
3: Happy Battlehawks Day to you, Randy. We are wearing our Battlehawks gear today in honor of our football team in Saint yes. Louis. Still our football team, even though the season was. You know cut short yeah truncated a, truncated as it were. because of a pandemic but i am pumped because i got to wear my battle hawks jersey that still had tags on it i had to cut the tags off this morning That's pretty cool. that i was supposed to wear for the la game that got oh, taken man. from us because of the pandemic
2: yeah i was actually i had tickets for the la game and i was going to wear this gray pullover the the battle hawks pullover that i have it's very so, cool I, I was ready for that and then uh When the Hated Vipers came to town, we were going to tailgate. It was just going to be a monster day. It was going to be great.
3: Oh, yeah. The Hated Vipers. Yeah. The rivalry.
2: Oh, yeah. And (laughs) you know what? That's something that still lingers in my soul is my hatred for the Vipers. The Tampa Bay Vipers. Yeah. That's a long time. That's a a lifetime that you, you hate a franchise like that. You just can't let that hatred go away.
3: It's ingrained in you. Now, can you remind me and everyone else, where did this hatred for the Vipers start? How did you start hating the Vipers?
2: Well, it, it was just a natural rivalry, Michelle. And uh, you get together and, uh, you know, you, cities have a tendency to hate each other. And obviously with that old Buccaneers-Rams rivalry yeah. from that, that lesser league, uh, <laughs> that, that was part of it. And the, the big thing was is that you had Dallas and Houston. That was a rivalry. You had the uh, California rivalry. You, you had uh, the New York rivalry, New York and Washington. So the natural rivalry for us in the league was the, the Tampa Bay Vipers. And so from day one, from as long as I can remember, uh, from a little kid growing up, I, I was just taught, hate the Vipers.
3: Yeah, as long as you were a Battle Hawks fan, you knew you were going to hate the Vipers. no doubt. And I I thought you were going to say it's just because the team name, the Vipers, that sounds like a team you're going to hate, the Vipers. Oh, a bunch of
2: Vipers, yeah. 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 Ironically, that's, you know, you've got that 32-team NFL, and then you've got the front office on Park Avenue, and that's the Vipers. There you go. In the the NFL.
3: (laughs) You know, when I think back to the things that we lost because of the pandemic from a sports perspective... That game versus L.A. is always going to be at the top yeah. of the list for me because I know how many tickets were sold. Tens of thousands of tickets they had opened up. It would have been the,
0: 45,000.
3: If not more. Yeah. It was trending towards potential more. More kickoff that day and it would have I just remember that environment and the dome and how excited St. Louis was to have football back and it was kind of building every week it was building and it was almost this crescendo that hey Mm -hmm. the LA team that we don't even know about but that we definitely hate is coming (laughs) to town and we are going to pack this dome.
2: For some reason yesterday the Battlehawks came up in the show and uh, we, Michelle talked about the jersey that she had and I said we got to make it a Battlehawks day so today's Battlehawks day on Caric and Smallman.
3: And in St. Louis, where are your Battlehawks gear to work today?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of football, last night a dramatic finish for the Eagles a 22-20 win over the New York Football Giants. This game was 10-7 Philadelphia at the half, the Giants missing a, or the Eagles missing a short field goal just as the second quarter expired and it would have made it third. So it's a 10-7 game entering the third quarter and the Giants get the ball midway through and their quarterback takes off. From the 12,
1: Jones keeps, gets a block, takes off and he is gone. Trying to stay upright and he trips. Absolutely all alone, and he trips,
4: going to the end zone, and ends up carrying it as it is for 80. (laughs) And he trips. (laughs)
2: Poor guy. It's on national TV, too. It's not just a random Sunday afternoon that nobody sees.
3: He, You could see it, too. You're thinking, oh, he's wobbling. Mm -hmm. Oh, is he going down? Oh, he sure is. (laughs) But at least his teammates were laughing about it, gave him a hard time. But that's one of those things where in his mind, he's running and he's thinking, okay, who's behind me? You can can probably hear the footsteps coming. He knows he's not as fast as he needs to be. Your your top half gets a little over your bottom half. We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Not on that stage.
2: The Giants did score a touchdown on that drive, took a 14-10 lead. Then Sterling Shepard on a touchdown pass from Jones early in the fourth. It's 21-10. But in the last five, the Eagles led by Carson Wentz.
5: Wentz throws, back. What a beautiful play as Ward is in, and then getting up and drawing a flag is
1: Margaret Harper.
2: That was with 4.38 left in the game, and with 40 seconds left in the game, a six-play, 71-yard drive. The two-point conversion failed, and Philadelphia held on to win it 22-21. Daniel Jones on that 80-yard run.
0: Tried to to run faster than I was running and got caught up. So we finished the drive, scored a touchdown, so that was a relief to me for sure. (laughs) Poor guy. We'll see that forever. Oh, forever. Yeah.
3: It's not quite the butt fumble, but we're certainly going to see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, what's the most iconic... Ooh, that sucks. Play in NFL history. Is it the butt fumble?
2: I don't... Well, I would think because of the era in which it happened on a Thanksgiving night, it's part of it. But back in the 1960s, Jim Marshall of the Vikings picked up the ball and ran the wrong way and took a safety. And his nickname, Jim Marshall, good defensive end, his nickname became Wrong Way Marshall. Oh,
3: that's brutal.
2: Yeah, against San Francisco.
3: Wrong Way Marshall. We we can
2: find the the cut of that. That was... uh, pretty pretty
3: funny i also think the name butt fumble is just something you're never going to forget right not only was the play hilarious and it's the jets and it's mark sanchez but the name butt fumble you're never going to forget it
2: no that's right and and i think the fact that it was sanchez and in that game the giant the jets had a chance against new england had a chance but but then the butt, butt fumble and you lose the ball and you lose the game
3: mark sanchez is a guy who took it to some afc championship games his career was not Horrific uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but you're always going to remember him for the Buff Humble.
2: Yeah, that's the one big thing. He played in a couple of AFC championships. Yeah, that's
3: right. But if you think Mark Sanchez, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
2: Yeah, Buff Humble. Yeah, that's right. No doubt about it. Michelle, we have World Series Game 3 tonight here on 101 ESPN. The pregame at 6.30 and the action at 7. Charlie Morton pitches for the Tampa Bay Rays. He'll be opposed by Walker Bueller. Morton obviously has been a postseason stud for the Rays, and here's Kevin Cash on what sets him apart.
6: Well, the preparedness is one, but just his overall demeanor—the way I mean—you've seen him now; you've covered him for two years. Uh, he's the same guy, whether it's Game Seven or, or Game Thirty, and that's pretty comforting. And I think what—it's not just what Charlie does for himself; it's what he does for our club. It's pretty settling, and you know. It, We've seen it. Every, out, every outing we've given the ball in the postseason for the last two years, he's been pretty outstanding. And when you build that type of a track record, you just continue to have so much confidence in the, the person. The stuff speaks for itself. And what he did in Game 7, you know, I think all season long, it was a little bit of a struggle for Charlie to maintain his stuff deep in games. You know, through 70 pitches or whatever it was, the stuff never wavered. Uh, And that gives us a lot of reason to feel positive that he's going to be able to go out there and give us every opportunity to win.
2: We were talking about Clayton Kershaw the other day and about how he's so different. In the regular season and the postseason. Not that Charlie Morton is bad by any stretch during the regular season, but he's a guy that right now, he's kind of like Madison Bumgarner, uh-huh. right? When you put him on the mound, you feel like he's going to win that big game for you.
3: And that gives your team confidence that you have that guy that you know can be nails in the postseason. And I think the stat, Randy, is 17 out of the last 22, excuse me, World Series Game 3 winners go on to win the series.
2: That's a pretty good stat. So there you go. So go Rays. Go Rays. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. Here's his manager, Dave Roberts.
6: I think probably he's talking. I think that just my time
1: knowing Walker for all these years, he's just kind of easygoing always. And so I guess if he came in like Clayton on his start day, I would be a little bit more concerned. But uh, Walker just kind of comes in and kind of ramps up his focus. But early on, he's just jovial.
2: So that's what they'll be looking for tonight is a happy and jovial Walker Bueller hockey the NHL announced yesterday that the Winter Classic, no surprise, has been postponed for a year. The Blues and Wild will play in Minnesota uh, in 2022 on January 1st of 2022 rather than 2021 because they have no idea when their season's going to (laughs) start.
3: I would be more surprised now if they say something's on rather than they say something's postponed. I would too. You know, you just kind of brace for impact on anything being postponed or pushed back or delayed and to your point, we don't even know a timetable yet. So how can we go on and say, yes, we anticipate the Winter Classic to go on off without a hitch.
2: The All-Star Game in Florida also postponed and I'm sure that they're just despondent of the Panthers and the way they show up for those games. I'm sure that that's probably the talk of sports radio in Miami today is that they don't have the NHL All-Star game for 2022.
3: I'm sure. I'm sure that's something that has upset most Miami sports fans.
2: Yeah, big, pretty big deal. That is... Uh, What's on tap here on 101 ESPN with Character and Smallman coming up? Peak and Pit. Get your text into the air, Comfort Service. Text line 65780. What was your peak of the week? What was your pit of the week? We'll hear from you next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Time for peak and pit of the week. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Scotty is here. Michelle is here. I'm Randy. And Michelle, do you have a peak and a pit of the week?
3: I do, Randy. She says seven fifteen every Friday. So technically anything after that is included in our window yes. for the week, right? Well, then I'm going to say my peak was our conversation with Tori Krug last Friday because it was really great for me to hear him and have a conversation with him. And I think so many Blues fans, after you're hearing him on our airwaves and just hearing what a good team player he sounded like, hearing how excited he was to join the St. Louis community, to join the Blues. As much as they hate to see Petro leave because of everything that Petro meant to the Blues organization and to St. Louis, I think that people are resting a little easy saying, hey, if we can't have Petro, Tori Krug, not a bad second option. Didn't we have him like two days ago? Tori Krug? Yeah. When did we have Torrey Krugan? Wasn't it last Friday? I thought it was, let's see. I thought it was last Friday.
0: Um, Scotty, Research is on it.
3: Research is on it. I thought Good. it was last Friday.
0: Well, uh, let's see
2: here. We got the text to call him on Monday. So uh, we had him on Tuesday.
3: Of this week? Yeah. I thought it was last Friday. No. Well, I'm losing my mind then.
2: Yeah.
7: How that was that? this
3: week?
2: It was,
7: yeah. So this well, week guess hasn't my gone... pit is that
3: I this... have lost my mind and I can't keep track of the dates. This week hasn't gone as fast as you thought. <laughs> I thought it was Friday.
2: Yeah, so no, I, we set it up oh, on- Oh, you're
3: right, because you text, maybe did you text us Friday that we were going to have him, or you texted yeah. us over the weekend? Oh,
2: that must be it, yeah.
3: Okay, well, either way, either I was way, excited it's to it's have- better. Tory better. Yeah. On, on our airway.
2: Tuesday, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's my pit day, Randy. <laughs> I'm telling you, during this time, this pandemic, I really have no- concept of time i have no concept of days i have no concept of time you could have told me that 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 tuesday was two months ago and i wouldn't believed you
2: <laughs> see that's a positive you're like a little kid during the summer
3: or is we're, it a negative no it's a, because i thought tuesday was friday oh
2: it could be perceived as a negative i take it as a positive because that means you're just living life you're just you're, you're going through life and it doesn't matter what day it is
3: we're just doing our yeah. best
2: so yeah so is, was that your, does that become your official pit now?
3: I think it has to become my pit. <laughs> my pit was going to be that we 're twenty three days in to seventy five hard and i still haven 't had coffee or wine.
2: oh yeah, that is kind of a pit
3: but now it 's maybe maybe randy i 'm mm-hmm. losing my mind because i don 't have coffee. We need each other. Do you see this? My yes. brain needs coffee
2: <laughs> so and by the way if you, uh, if you search the internet and especially go to Wikipedia, which is Always highly reliable. Uh, if you want to find a good way to lose weight, coffee is—it's a, a weight loss product, man.
3: It is. That's why we need to ask Andy Frisella. If I started this with no coffee, even though it's allowed, I know, yeah. can I work it in? Yeah. I—we need the thing ruling.
2: So along these lines, Michelle, both of my peak and pit <laughs> have to do with seventy-five hard. Oh. hashtag seventy-five hard. All right, All right. My uh, pit came last night. Oh, you know that uh, Taco Bell is advertising those party nachos.
3: Oh, yeah. So that's what
2: the family had for dinner. Everybody had their nice plate of uh, party na- homemade ones. Oh. Homemade party nachos. Oh,
3: those are even better.
2: Yeah. So the, it was sensational to look at while I was eating my grilled chicken and broccoli. So well, that was kind of a pit.
3: They each had a plate of nachos. That yeah, was great. And was, you had, had to terrific. sit there and eat grilled chicken. And,
2: nacho- and uh, broccoli, no nachos.
3: Yeah. That was kind
2: of a pit, isn't it?
3: that is a major pet.
2: Now, but here's my peak though. Before that, yesterday afternoon when we were done here, I hooked my bike up to the car. I went and went for a little over an hour ride. And then I, I parked at Corps Park in the lot where the steps are. And then right after I got off my bike, I went right to the steps and did the steps, 220 steps up and down five times. And I powered through and I felt great afterwards. I, I wasn't worn out. I could have probably done a sixth set of steps I had the desire, but I just didn't have the desire. Well, I didn't have the mental fortitude. Let's be honest about <laughs> it. I didn't have the, uh, as uh, Mike Shannon would call it, the uh, intestinal fortitude to complete a sixth. But physically, I could have done it. Mentally, I was gassed.
3: So you're handling this far better than I am because you're over here doing the steps five, potentially six sets of steps. Mm-hmm. I can't even walk up the steps here in our building, which are two <laughs> flights of steps. Those
2: are tougher for me early in the morning.
3: Is it because it's early in the morning I think and it not is, because yeah. I'm just out of shape?
2: Yeah. And uh, there, there was a woman uh, walking her puppy up and down the steps, you know, the little short legs. I was very impressed by that puppy <laughs> doing as good a job as me on the steps.
3: You have incredible mental toughness that you could sit at a table with everyone eating homemade nachos and not even grab a chip. I was... I would have been toast. That would have been the end for me.
2: And weirdly, the dogs come to me with the grilled chicken. The dogs don't go to the people with the nachos. They come to the easy mark, I guess. But still.
3: Yeah, because they know you're more likely to give it away. Yeah. No one's going to give away nachos. It's
0: true. Hey, to add on Randy's mental toughness with the food, the SLU golf tournament. We got those box lunches. Okay, okay. Inside these box lunches, we got a sandwich, a bag of chips, chocolate chip cookies, those little two pack. Oh, Randy did not touch the chips. Or the cookie, he had the sandwich. I ate the chips and the cookie. I also had the sandwich. And I had my apple. And he had his apple. Wow. Thank you. I knew there was one more thing yeah. in there.
3: So you've just been dodging potential 75 hard landmines all week. Yeah. See, I've kept myself in a very incubated environment, you know. See, I'm you're, only you're, eating at home. Yeah. I'm only eating things that I have prepared because I know myself. You're doing great. If, if I was doing, if I was around people, well, I told, we've mentioned this. Scott had fast food in here. And I said to him, don't you open that yeah. bag? Don't you open that bag? Because you're opening the, Pandora's box. Exactly. That's <laughs>
2: what you're opening. <laughs>
3: don't you dare.
0: And he, he wasn't even complaining about it though. If I hadn't I had know. chips or cookies in three weeks, I'd be, oh my gosh, you're really going to eat that next to me, Scott? it Builds new
2: habits. 30 days builds new habits.
3: Well, we're still seven days away from that, yeah, so, so I'm have, still complaining. Yeah.
0: Scotty, I know you had a big peak this week. It's right. Uh, my peak of the week is definitely finding out that I got the house. Yay! Uh, oh, homeowner. my gosh. Exactly. Homeowner. Exactly. exactly. Over the moon, excited to move into my new place here in a couple of weeks, and uh, actually really excited to not spend tomorrow all day looking for places. So that's a huge peak. Yeah, um, the, the pit of the week is, it might be a little uh, weird for you guys, Yachty or Molina not being an NL Gold Glove finalist, that is absolutely blew my mind yesterday. I'd never really get too high or too low on gold glove finalists, but seeing Tyler O'Neal on there, not seeing Yachty at his respective position, it really ticked me off, to be honest with you guys.
3: Me too.
2: That was going to happen. Him too. Yeah. I would think that the time that the Cardinals missed, even though he didn't miss time, the, the time that the Cardinals missed and that time that people didn't get an opportunity to see him probably had an effect on that
3: but the guy had covid and he came back and still played every game i know
2: yeah yeah he's yeah what of these other
3: finalists have you have they defeated covid and played every game not to mention the skill set yeah i know it's
2: I, i'm not mad about it it'll it, it will motivate him for next year by the way the the Finalists are Tucker Barnhart of the Reds, Wilson Contreras of the Cubs. How that happens, you don't know. And Jacob Stallings of the Pirates. Three guys from the NL Central, ironically.
3: And would you take any of those guys over, Yaddy?
2: Uh yeah, two of them.
3: <laughs> kind of set you up there, but.
2: Yeah, but that's only because of the future. It's for,
3: for, no, for next for, for next year. A for singular next season? season. For 2020, this past season.
2: Uh yeah, I'd probably only take one of them.
3: But he should certainly be in that mix.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it.
0: Yep. All right. We got a couple of texts in for their peaks and pits of the week. This one from the 314. My peak was listening to Pete Fairbanks after he closed out the ALCS. My pet was listening to the idea that Yachty could be a Yankee.
2: It's intriguing for him. It's got to be for the Yankees. That is kind of a, a pit for people that want Yachty to stick around. I'm intrigued to hear Michelle as we go through this process. Whether or not this winds up being Yadier or Molina's choice, or whether it's the Cardinals just saying, okay, we're moving on.
3: Do you think if they if they say, Hey, it's a financial deal, love to have you back, but we're we're not gonna be able to give you the money you want, mm-hmm. that's still his choice. Because right. he he could say, Hey, I understand the position that you're in, not only because you need to plan for the future, but because of the financial constraints that this pandemic has, has put on what you're able to do. But it means if, if I'm gonna get playing time and I can stay here, we can make it work. I think either way, they're not gonna say, listen, Yachty, love you, ya. thanks for everything you've done, but we're just gonna go with the youth here. It's going to be something that they can't work out. At least that's the way that I'm perceiving it. And it's up to him. He's still in the driver's seat there, I think. Because he could probably make it work if he wanted to.
2: I, I would think he could. But if you're the Cardinals, and we've talked about gearing their team towards 2022, when definitely Molina, Wainwright, Fowler, Carpenter are off the books, would you rather go in with a catcher that has some experience in Kisner or Herrera? Or would you rather go in, start that season with a catcher that has zero experience? Because you know that Yachty's going to demand a play.
3: I, 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 of course, he's going to want to play. He's the, one of the most competitive guys we've ever seen mm-hmm. come through St. Louis sports, period. This is a guy who, and especially now, the, the way he feels about not being a gold glove finalist, as you mentioned, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He's going to want to go out there and prove himself even more, especially at this age and at this time when he feels like people might be doubting him or questioning what he still has left. But I do wonder if that's maybe... One of the caveats for the Cardinals is hey, if we can make it work financially, even if we can give you more than we're necessarily willing to do, the other part of this is that you have to agree to split time and help one of these guys along.
2: I can't imagine that he would agree to that.
3: I don't even know if I can imagine them having the conversation with him.
2: Yeah. And that's why. Because
3: they know, they know know how it is. I,
2: I know it's an emotional aspect because he's been the Cardinal catcher since 2005. But he's also regressed dramatically offensively in the last five years. He isn't, at least in the perception of the coaches and managers that vote for the Gold Glove. He's not what he was defensively. And the Cardinals need to have a catcher ready for 2022. So if they take the old Branch ricky approach, better to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late then the smart baseball move, the smart not the smart emotional move, the smart move for your success in 2022 might be and probably is letting him walk and getting Kisner ready.
3: But I think about it from a different aspect when I think about the leadership that he provides. I mm-hmm. think about the way that he helps these pitchers along. If your strength is going to be pitching and you're looking at a youth movement, who better to well, help guide you that way than Yanni or Molina? But
2: your pitchers have all worked with him already. And... All due respect, that Cardinal team is not winning next year. If Yadier Molina is back and you have him working with the young pitchers, they aren't winning next year.
3: The World Series or the division?
2: Probably, well, certainly not the World Series. They, maybe they, they sneak in the division, but they aren't that good.
0: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one from the 636. And this is like a low-key big move here. From the, his peak of the week, my favorite movie, Back to the Future, was playing on the TV at my dentist's office. The pit, the Novocaine uh, faded out while they were still working on me. Ooh, I hate that pit. Ooh, that hurts. Ow. Ooh.
3: Mm. Both
0: of those are huge. Dentist office a TV screen and Topia
2: uh, to, the to watch. Great too. I've never seen it you got to watch that. It's one of the all-time great movies. Does
3: it hold up, though?
2: It totally does. Okay. They've even got the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. Oh, wow. In All 1985.
3: Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No,
2: it's a good movie. Chuck Berry references. you like it. Okay, okay. Uh, the Pit. That's a bad... I wonder if you were... Text back in. Were you able to tell him and get some word, King.
3: So, what do you do in that moment when you realize, wait, I'm starting to feel this? Ow. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, what do, you, do they stop? Do they say, hey, we're just going to have to continue on. We're already halfway nope. through this. Do they shoot you oh, up no, again? No,
2: it's just a shot. Yeah, all they have to do is give you another shot, and you'll be fine. Okay, let's get a couple more quick ones. We don't want to uh, leave people hanging here with the, their text. Do we have any more, Scotty? No, we're good. Okay. All right, because Scotty wants to get to this uh, next segment, which we just did, basically. Uh, Yadier Molina, not a finalist for the Gold Glove. It's more important to the 2021 Cardinals' Gold Glove defense or improved offense. That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: <laughs> Major League Baseball announced their Gold Glove finalists yesterday. Yadier Molina pretty much immediately went to the gram because he is on Insta and. He made his feelings known. And by the way, Michelle, we should note that that post has been put taken down, right?
3: Yes, I'm looking at his page and I don't see it here, but... Thankfully, people, including our 101 ESPN account, had screenshotted it and posted it. So this is what Yadier Molina said on Instagram yesterday. He said, respect to all the finalists in the 2020 National League receptor. Now, I see an injustice to to those who decide who are not. I don't know if it's at MLB or whoever. Uh, I'm going to put a paraphrase phrase. Clearly that they don't want me to draw with the great Johnny Bench. It's I'm judged by not supporting the league in anything and not being their puppet. For me at 38 years, I'm still the best as every catcher in the MLB. And they'll tell you three exclamation points.
2: And he did refer to himself as a sandwich. A uh, can we? Uh, it's a. And tell tell us if we're wrong here. You probably have a better idea of the culture and the language than we do. But he, he referred to himself as a Boracua Jibarito, which according to my Google machine is a sandwich. If that's different, six five seven eight zero that service text line. A couple of things. Number one. He really doesn't do anything for MLB. He's not a guy that has been uh, really amenable from a media standpoint over the years. I don't know why that would become an issue now when he's won nine gold gloves. People have known for a long time in Major League Baseball that he didn't do anything. So I don't know why they would decide now that he is not great. And another thing, Michelle, is that in baseball with the gold glove historically— and it shouldn't be this way, but it is, the Gold Glove is tied to offense. And Yachty used to be a really good offensive player, and he's just not what he was before. And when you look at the other guys, not that they're any great shakes offensively, but they do have a better than 694 OPS.
3: Also, this year, the Gold Glove Award and the finalists were determined strictly... By metrics normally you have people voting on it you have managers coaches etc that vote on this Um, but this year due to the compressed 2020 season they said that they were relying solely on SDI which is Sabre Defensive Index to come up with the to determine the finalists so if you're Yadier Molina yes you feel slighted yes you know that there are a lot of things that you do day in and day out that probably can't be quantified but it's it's hard to argue numbers.
2: As Brad Thompson would say, if you don't like it, play better. If the numbers, and I was not aware of that until you just told me, I thought it was still the vote, but it makes sense because normally managers and and coaches vote for the gold gloves. But if the managers and coaches from the East and the West didn't get a a chance to play against and see the defenders from the Central, how can they make a, a fair decision in terms of making a vote? So. Metrics make the most sense. And Tucker Barnhart, Wilson Contreras, and Jacob Stallings, defensive metrics wise, are ahead of Yadi.
3: So here's what it says. I'm reading the release about it. It says, historically, the Rawlings Gold Glove Award winners have been determined by a vote from 30 managers and up to six of their respective coaches. They they vote from a pool of qualified players in their league. They can't vote for players from their own team. But in 2013, Rawlings added a Sabre metric component to the Gold Glove selection process, um, et cetera, et cetera. And due to a compressed 2020 season, the award qualifications have been amended to rely solely on SDI, which is Sabre, Sabre Defensive Index, which draws on and aggregates two types of existing Defensive metrics; those derived from batted ball location-based data, and those collected from play-by-play accounts.
2: Okay, makes sense. And Yadi, by the way, did get injured and played in 42 games, 42 of the 58 that the Cardinals played, so that has an effect. And even though he did not get named as a finalist, neither did Harrison Bader, who also tweeted kind of a a low-key, huh, tweet <laughs> about not getting named as as one of the finalists.
3: Were you surprised to see Tyler O'Neill's name in the mix?
2: I was Me surprised. Too. But good for him. And again, the Cardinals thought in the minor leagues that he was a gold glove quality left fielder. And if we're basing this strictly on the the metrics, the defensive metrics, then it does make sense that he would be out there. Now, does he have a chance to be the National League left fielder? I don't know. But if, I don't know if you're going to base it on metrics, why we had to name Finalists, I don't know why we just didn't name the guys. Right. Or, uh, uh, that, just say, hey,
3: you're winning. <laughs> yep.
2: But uh, Akiyama, Shogo Akiyama from the Reds, and David Peralta from the Diamondbacks are the other left-field candidates. And by the way, in center field, you might have been wor- wondering about Bader. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Cody Bellinger, Trent Grisham are the three.
3: Do you th- What do you think about Colton Wong looking to go back-to-back? Does this increase his chances at all uh, You know, as far as getting that $12.5 million from the Cardinals? Or do you think that... Hey, even if he doesn't win the hardware, they know what type of value he brings. And they've already kind of made their determination on what to do.
2: I would think that they already have. I find it notable that last year's American League, Gold Glover, with the White Sox, did not... Yalmer Sanchez is the guy's name. uh, He didn't get re-upped by the White Sox. They let him go. He sat around and didn't get a contract until he got a minor league deal with the Giants in March. So... Just winning a gold glove, I don't think, adds any value. Teams know what they have defensively. But with the Cardinals wanting to be a defense-first team, they clearly look at Wong as a marketable guy. They brought him back a couple of years ago when his jersey night was happening. They brought him back from the minors. I could absolutely see them keeping him based on his defense. Not necessarily the gold glove, but based on the great defense.
3: And, you know, for a team that wanted to have pitching depth and said, hey, our identity is pitching depth and it's defense, you should be getting guys who are going to be nominated for these. But I don't think that in any way takes away from the fact that what we said about this team and what they need to improve on heading into next season still remains the same.
2: And they need to find that at third base. They need to find it in the outfield, and they need to find it if they have a designated hitter at DH. But certainly, heck, if Tyler O'Neill wins a gold glove, Dylan Carlson's probably your starting left fielder, right? It's Carlson, Bader, Fowler. Mm-hmm. I would think even so, you could leave a Gold Glove left fielder on the bench. Although outfield defense isn't nearly as important as defense at second base, but if you don't have a, a need, for example, a catcher or second base, the o- the only place you can really fill in to find that that bat, if you want to improve your offense, would be third base. If you're going to bring back Wong, you know DeYoung's your shortstop. You know. Wong, you know, Goldie, and you know that because of the contract it's gonna be Fowler, you you know Bader or O'Neal probably in center and Carlson and left. So that leaves catcher and if you have Yachty back, that's not changing. So that cuts you down to third base. That's the only place where you could go get a bet. Do you think they will? I really don't know what their plan is. I I I, I wish I knew. I do think that they're in money saving mode. I agree. After missing out on the two hundred and fifty four million but they have to have somebody to play third base. Maybe Carpenter is your third baseman. Maybe it's the same group that started opening day of this year. I could absolutely see that. Man. And it, Maybe it's that group minus Yadi or Molina and with Andrew Kisner behind the plate.
3: This Yadi thing is so tricky. It, I could go either way on it. I really could. But I keep going back. To thinking about it from the Cardinals' perspective and what I think they're going to do. Not what I think they should do, what I think they're going to do. And I know that the money thing is huge. I do. But this is also Yadier Molina. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, unless it's all about money, strictly get money, more money from the Yankees, and he decides to walk, I still can't imagine them making a big, not making a big push to keep him. Well,
2: the other question is, though, Kisner's going to be 26. How long do you let Yadier Molina run the show? before you take charge and say, okay, no, this is our organization. We're we're trying to get better here. You're declining. We're trying to ascend. We're trying to go with youth. And you know that if you have Yadier Molina on your roster, he's going to be upset if he's not playing. He'll probably go to Instagram if he's not playing. And he's got enough leadership ability in that clubhouse, enough cachet in that clubhouse, that he could upend the apple cart. I think that's something that they have to take a serious look at.
3: I know he does have, you know, clear respect in the clubhouse and if he wasn't playing, he would not be quiet about his disdain for that. But I also think if you're in the clubhouse, you can see what's going on and you, you even though you have utmost respect for Yachty and you know everything that he brings to this team, especially if you are somebody that's going to be a member of this team for a long time, you do understand that those other guys, whether it's Herrera or a Kisner, are going to need to get reps at some point. It's very... Lo- it's a, You can look at it from a logical perspective.
2: But I can guarantee you this, if he winds up with a post on Instagram saying, "I work out to play hard and or to play a long time. I, I work I work out so that I'm playing. I want to play, paraphrasing what the Instagram post might say, yeah, th- there's going to be a large number of Cardinals that are going to like that post,
3: yeah, but liking it and then privately saying, "Hey, I think." The organization's doing the right thing. Liking well, it is just a public display of support. That doesn't mean that you co-sign everything that's, well, he said. That,
2: that's why, if you're the team, you just cut the cord and move on. You don't, don't take the chance. Well, you know he's going to regress. You don't take the chance of that happening. You, what you do is you cut the cord and you move on.
3: I just think about the value that he brings as far as calling a game from, from just an intangible standpoint. And he's not... When We look at this offense. But, I don't. When I, if I'm ranking reasons why this Cardinals offense was bad, I'm not putting Yachty in the top three.
2: No, but at at some point, he's not going to be there. So what do those pitchers do when he's not there, and you have a catcher that's never played before? It's a good question. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. So I, I'm I'm just throwing that. He can't play until he's fifty. And, and by the way, again, he's great and he's great at handling pitchers.
3: But if you you think that they're not going to win the World Series next year, and yeah. probably not the year after that, and those are the two years that you could bring Yaddy back, is it is it worth it to you?
2: My interest is in getting better. My interest is in, when my team is ready to win, having a catcher that is prepared to catch 130 games.
3: But I wonder if Yaddy or Molina at this point in his career... Where where does that compare to any of these younger guys ascending to that well, level? If you're if you're yeah. comparing apples to apples. Yep. Uh,
2: on June 1st of next year, if he's healthy, I can definitively tell you that Yadier Molina will be a better player all around than Andrew Kisner. But on April 1st of 2022 is what you're looking at. It's not June 1st of next year. That's my point is that I'm looking at 2022. And the only way that Andrew Kisner gets better is if he plays. That's just like Yadier Molina when he took over for Mike Matheny in 2004. The only way he was going to be ready to be the starter in 2005 is if you took playing time away from the other guy. And if one guy gets angry, and Mike didn't, but if one guy gets angry and is vocal about not playing, are you better having a guy that's disgruntled, a a 38-year-old disgruntled catcher that's been around since 2004, or are you better just having him be with the Yankees so that you can move forward?
3: disgruntled, perhaps. I'm looking at it as a passionate guy who brings a fire to this team and who is a leader in an organization that yeah. needs some fire and passion and needs a leader. I'm also looking at them saying, hey, we're going to evaluate these guys and how has that gone for them? I'm very concerned about oh, some, yeah. some of these guys yeah. that they have said are gonna, going to be the future. You
2: have to, but I, I also think you just have to look at, at some point at not having Yadier Molina on your team. and I, I don't think that they're in a position now if they if they thought they could win the World Series next year if we thought they could win the World Series next year then by all means bring him back but if you're going to be mediocre I would be more inclined to just want to get better and have my young players ascend and and by the way if Kisner isn't the guy then Herrera who has an ETA of 2022 get him going
3: okay but let's look at it from this perspective this season the Cardinals Right, right now, especially amongst their own fan base, their paying fan base, are kind of taking a beating from some of the people that they have let walk, or they've they've moved on from, and this organization are passed on, and Fernanderton are having that a lot of success elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Ways that they could have improved their team. Just imagine a scenario where Yadi or Molina, they say, you know what, thanks go to the Yankees and the Yankees next year are amazing. Yadier Molina has an an unbelievable season. They win the World Series, but but in your team, that's still kind of the same. Not an exciting brand of baseball. You don't have the face of the franchise. A lot of strikeouts still. And people here have to watch Yadier Molina be an unbelievable asset to a team that is winning. That is going to be a disaster for them. But how long
2: do you have to worry about that? Two Uh, years. Yeah, so... uh, (laughs)
3: I'm just uh, but I'm just I'm putting myself in their shoes what about well, they might be considering.
2: Well, here's another point. You don't know if you're going to have a paying fan base. It might be the best time to do that.
3: That's actually a great point.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Quick take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. We do have the fight coming up at 830. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. If you would like to participate, we want you to be a part of the fight. And if you text your name with the word fight to 65780, maybe Scotty will be the guy, or Scotty will be the guy, but maybe you'll (laughs) be the person that Scotty picks out. Time for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, did you see that heading into tonight's game, or last night's football game, the Thursday night football game, that of the... 11 projected offensive starters for the eagles before the season the only ones that were playing last night were jason kelsey of at center and carson wentz their quarterback everybody else started that game hurt or is out for the year Oof. nine of 11 Oof. so from that perspective with the first place eagles <laughs> take it or leave it carson wentz is mvp
3: oh i'm gonna leave it <laughs> I'm going to leave it. But yeah, that's a pretty difficult set of circumstances.
2: If if you're missing nine offensive starters and the one guy that is, uh, or one of the two that's available to you is your quarterback and he's leading you to victories, that's pretty impressive. And their other games have been close. They've actually, Wentz has done a magnificent job of keeping them games and I... If you just use the term valuable Mm -hmm. uh, for most valuable player, if you just use that term, I think that you could make a case for Carson Wentz. Let me give you uh, their other games. Uh, They're two, four, and one now after seven weeks. Uh, And uh, so here's the way it's gone for them. They lost by 10 to Washington. They got stomped by the Rams. But then they tied the Bengals. They only lost by five to the 49ers. Uh, They lost to the Steelers, and they they were there in the last two minutes of that game. Lost to the Ravens by two, and then won last night. So, against really tough teams, they played some close games. I'm
3: just saying. Would you take it?
2: No. (laughs) I think, I, I think here's my thing if, <laughs> if I, I apply the term valuable and I think about Geno Smith starting for oh. the Seahawks it ain't gonna happen and so Russell Wilson is right off the top more
3: valuable Geno Smith he's their backup Oof. okay Randy so last segment and the segment before and probably many segments to come we've been talking about Yadier Molina and the Cardinals will he be back where will he go if he doesn't come back etc so some of the rumors out there are Yachty or Molina and the Yankees. They love to connect Molina to the Yankees. A quick Google search, Randy. Here are some of the headlines. Signing Yachty or Molina could be the answer to the Yankees' problems, okay? these are This is the narrative that's out there right now about the potential of Yachty going to the Yankees. But take it or leave it. If he goes to New York, Yachty actually will not like being there. I'll take that. I think about the way that those headlines could change so quickly. I think about the power and control he has here in St. Louis and the way that he gets to dictate a lot of things. And I don't know if you're going to get that in a new environment. You're not the singular voice in the clubhouse anymore. And I also think if the hype is this high, signing Yadier Molina could be the answer Mm -hmm. to the Yankees' problems. If it goes south at all and the media... Which is not the media here in St. Louis Is coming after him Asking him all of these questions He's having headlines that are saying What a terrible mistake Yadier Molina's washed up He's not going to take well to that
2: The media won't have a chance to talk to him
3: Like you're not he'll, in the Midwest anymore though yeah, When you're up there
2: He'll hide So the media But he'll, you still got the tabloids And some of the sometimes the worst thing you can do Is not talk Because then they just They take the hammer out yeah, then it hurts.
3: Then it's going to be a part of the headline.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scotty, what do you got for us? Six five seven eight is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the six three six. Take it or leave it. Kyle Clifford leads the Blues in penalty minutes next season.
2: I'm going to leave it because I don't think that he'll play enough.
3: Who do you think would lead the team in penalty minutes? I think. I like the sentiment though. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah,
2: I do too. I like. The, I, yeah. I
3: understand the sentiment behind the take it or leave it.
2: Yeah, I'm kind Pesky. of thinking Bortuzzo.
3: Okay. Take it just because of the sentiment. I hope that he's out there being a causing guest, problems. Cause good. and problems. I like that. Yeah.
0: Good. Get your take it or leave it 10, 10 six five seven six three six. Take it or leave it. Because of how Ryan Tannehill played in Miami, he's not getting the MVP recognition he deserves.
2: I'll partially take that, but I also think that Derrick Henry is the MVP of that team. Mm-hmm. So as great as Tannehill might be, and he's playing great people perceive that as a team that's carried by Henry
3: I also wonder if people are looking at the Tannehill situation now and saying we need to point more fingers at other people in Miami. Yeah,
2: they've got (laughs) some issues there. You
3: know, not necessarily him. But yeah, he in general, he probably is not getting enough love, Ryan Tannehill, for what he's been able to do with the Titans.
0: Led the league in passing last year. Incredible. From the six three six, take it or leave it. Yachty out, Kisner in at catcher. That'll be the only offensive upgrade the Cardinals make this offseason. I'll take that.
3: Is it an upgrade?
2: 634 OPS, did I say? <laughs> well,
3: yeah. We don't know. The other's an unknown.
2: Yeah, if he's got a 500 OPS, then we've got real problems.
3: I just, I don't know what he's capable of and based on the trends we've seen offensively in St. Louis with players, I just, I don't know what to expect.
2: 662 OPS,
3: Okay, thank you.
2: <laughs> From the 407. 407- can I give you one other one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. <ahead. laughs> just for fun. 2016, funsies 2016 787 ops 2017 751 ops 2018 750 ops 2019 711 ops 2020 662 ops that's folks what we call a trend
3: that wasn't funsies at
0: all <laughs> fun fact <laughs> this one comes in the 309 take it or leave it a team will trade for ryan fitzpatrick before the deadline leave it
3: i'm gonna leave it but i bet they're their conversations about it
2: he's smart enough to pick up somebody's offense he's been on
3: enough teams he's he's probably been (laughs) played
2: on every offense that's right
0: from the 407 take it or leave it along the same lines Tua was starting is forced by ownership as a PR move and jersey sales wait say that again so Tua was forced to be the starting quarterback by Miami's ownership so it was a PR move and it was only for jersey sales
3: I'm gonna leave that I I don't think that that would be something that Brian Flores would do. And even though the timing came as a surprise, I think that this was part of a plan that he had had.
2: And one thing about the NFL, there's this thing called NFL Properties. And every dollar from every jersey sale or NFL merchandise sale, whether it's a shot glass or a jersey or a jacket or shoes, if you have that NFL and NFL logo on it, All of the money from those sales go into one pot, and then they're split among the 32 teams. So if the Dolphins sell 500 million Tua jerseys and the Cardinals sell five Kyler Murray jerseys, the amount of money that they get from NFL properties that are sold is exactly the same.
3: Can I give you guys another take it or leave it? Yeah. So this is the first jersey that I've ever owned. have ever worn. I am not a jersey person. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. Jerseys are overrated. When you think about the material, it's not necessarily a comfortable wear, especially jerseys sometimes are a heavy material. It's not not a t-shirt material. Sometimes these breathable jerseys, I've been around dudes where it makes them smell bad. Jersey material could be better.
2: I'll take it. Yes.
3: You know, you want to wear it because you want to support your team, players that, that you root for. And a player I understand all of that. But just from a comfortable standpoint, jerseys not that great.
0: I'll take that. I was going to take it too, but just based on the fact that they're so expensive, yeah, I've been going really to the kind of knockoff jersey weapon to get somebody to try to look similar <laughs> to save 100 oh, bucks. You know what? One
2: time when Bradford was a rookie... We got eighteen-dollar jerseys from China. I got one for Patrick and one for me, and they were the same thing that you would buy at Dick's. And they're, they're these Chinese jersey websites used to pop up, and then the NFL would get them shut down. But we got them, and they were eighteen bucks a piece. Two hundred-dollar so jersey. It
3: was a Bradford jersey. Did it break down? Yes, it did. Okay.
0: And speaking of breaking down, uh, I did that too, Randy. August 31st, I know I check my order every day, is when I bought a Clyde Edwards-Elair jersey an and a Tyron Matthew jersey off of one of those websites. For, 18 bucks? I, yeah, 18 and 23, I think. Uh-huh. So it was like $45. But they still haven't came no, they yet.
2: Take, they take the slow boat yeah. from China here. Literally. They'll, they'll make it. I'll wear them as soon as I get them.
3: Do yeah. you still have the Bradford jersey? No,
2: it's long gone.
3: <laughs> you give it away or because I know once um, the Rams th- were ripped out of town you had many yeah. duffel bags of Rams gear that I had you donated.
2: 5 trash bags that I took to Hot Shots and they sent all of the stuff that people brought in to homeless people in Los Angeles. That's cool. Uh so yeah, I don't have the only piece of Rams clothing that I have left is a Super Bowl 34 Champions golf shirt. That's it. I don't have any other. I'm, I might have a I think I saw it like during the summer uh charter PSL cap. PSL holder cap that I just kind of slipped through the cracks. But as you saw, I put one of my Rams uh, hats on the grill and just burned it.
3: I did see that. Mm. You know, I saw someone the other day in a Rams starter jacket walking down the street, and I went, "Wow, I haven't seen that in a while. Okay, I haven't seen that logo." Honest in a here, I-
2: I'm going to be completely honest with you. Okay. I walk down the street and I'm in the or I'm in the park or whatever. See somebody wearing St. Louis Rams gear. I say, "Man, I'm so sad that person's homeless." <laughs>
3: Yeah. I think something else.
2: <laughs> thanks, Scott. You got, it. you got it, man. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, is the Patriots dynasty over now? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: It is 810, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. The text line always open, 65780. And we love hearing from you with your Rhino Shield mic drops. You can use that. Just to pick up your phone and use the 101 ESPN app. And we'd like to hear from you. Michelle, Cam Newton, during the course of the week, has talked about how he needs to be better. He hasn't been good enough for the two and three. Patriots, who in addition to losing Tom Brady had about half of their defense opt out before this season. The Patriots host San Francisco this weekend and the Niners are playing well despite tons of injuries. And I I just wonder because the Patriots will probably be around 500. They aren't going to get Trevor Lawrence and they don't have much talent around Cam Newton and they don't have much talent defensively. I wonder if that dynasty is over now. I kind of think it is.
3: Didn't you just assume the dynasty was over when Bill and Tom parted ways? Yes, we thought that one may have success somewhere else. But as far as the Patriots dynasty, I just assumed as they broke up, this was the end. Because even if Bill—okay, if Bill won a Super Bowl after this, do you still consider that part of the same dynasty?
2: Yes, because it was Belichick. So and that the, the Belichick so I, I wanted the question answered. Was it Belichick or was it Brady? Right. And the early returns are, because Cam Newton has been to a uh, Super Bowl. He's been an MVP. And granted, he's not what he was five years ago. But that was my belief that there was a chance that it wasn't Brady, but it was somebody else. Heck, they did go 10-6 and six with Brian Hoyer at quarterback in 2008. So there, there's that chance... Or no, it was Matt Castle, I'm sorry. Matt Castle at quarterback in 08. So I, I was thinking, okay, there's a chance that maybe it is Belichick here. But with all of the things that have happened to, to that franchise... And by the way, he's known as a, a an evaluation guru... And over the years, they have drafted some pretty good players, but they haven't drafted a Hall of Fame-type players. The fact that there isn't a lot of talent to surround Cam Newton tells me that maybe the success of that franchise was centered around Brady more than it was Belichick. And certainly the team, but I, I think Belichick needed Brady more than Brady needed Belichick.
3: Belichick needed Brady more than Brady needed Belichick. See, I think it was kind of A 50 50 mutual thing. I don't know if either one could have succeeded in the manner without the other one. And I'm not necessarily, I know because Tom Brady is on a timeline here that we're going to judge immediately this season. What did Tom Brady do this season? What were the Patriots and Bill Belichick able to do? But I think after Brady retires, we may see Belichick go on to continue to have success. I think maybe after this season, which is a weird year for For a lot of reasons, especially with the Patriots, that he may still have some. Tricks up his sleeve and yes do I think that Brady contributed to Belche's, Belichick's success yes of course massively but also could Brady have been in that position without some of the people that Belichick was able to bring in from a personnel standpoint See, and, and that's my, standpoint? my
2: question because when you look at the 20 year run he's he got hired there in 2000 they drafted Brady in the 6th round Hall of Famer they drafted Gronk in the 3rd th- round maybe 2nd Hall of Famer running uh, back no running they didn't draft a wide receiver they didn't draft a Hall of Fame offensive lineman on defense Richard Seymour's not going to the Hall of Fame Teddy Bruschi was drafted before he's not going to the Hall of Fame I don't know that they've drafted a defensive player that's going to the Hall of Fame either and that's why I wonder does he have tricks up his sleeve does he have the ability because they got lucky with it I think we all admit that right does he have yeah. the ability to collect good enough players to go on another run? That's my question.
3: But it's never really been the Hall of Famers that they bring in. It's, you know, the Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, the law firm, guys that they're that are, right. they're able to maximize well, what they have for a period of time. It's a Chris Long who at the end of his career goes there and they're able to extract some stuff from him to contribute to their success. But
2: the biggest part of it is you're in a fourth quarter and number 12 was bringing you back for a victory. True. So you had the the talent to keep it close, but in a game and in a league where 75% of the games are decided by a touchdown or less, you had that guy who is giving you that touchdown or bringing you back from a 28-3 deficit in the Super Bowl to win the game. And, and that's... Maybe Belichick, maybe this is too brief of a time to yeah. press that reset button, but he is 67, 68 years old. I wonder... Uh, My opinion is, I think the dynasty is over. And I I, I don't think Buffalo or Miami is going to be a dynasty. What we saw, we will never see again. What we saw for 20 years in New England, we will never see again.
3: How close do you think another team could even get? Because we know how hard it is to win back-to-back Super Bowls, let alone win that many or maintain that level of dominance in your division for that long. But even collecting one and or two Super Bowls is hard.
2: And not letting egos get in the way. Just look at the Rams. The the Rams were as talented as any group in the last quarter century. But egos got in the way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be... And one thing about Belichick, he was able to succeed despite a lot of people on his staff leaving. Most head coaches don't succeed after they lose key members of their staff look at the eagles right now they lose frank reich they lose uh, john Filippo, a couple of other assistants and they haven't been the same since so i think that's a big part of it too and for that belichick deserves credit that's michelle i'm randy joe vitale next on 101 espn we're right back to the
1: Character and smallman podcast on 101 espn
2: Vitaly on the Brown and Coopman celebrity line as we head into the blues booth. Good morning, sir. How you doing, Brandy? Doing terrific. Michelle. Good morning to you both. Hey, I want to start with this. As a sports fan and as an athlete, would you rather have your favorite team or the team that you're playing on? Great, great superstar player a year too early or a year too late?
7: <laughs> oh,
5: definitely a year too late. I would think because then you're then you're always asking. You'll, you'll never be asking the what if questions, right? I mean, that's, that to me is, is what it would be, but uh, that, that's, that's a good one. I've never given that one too awful much thought, you know, uh, to me, I, I look at, and I look at how you can look at this Petrangelo thing. And and, and my gut's telling me that in two or three years, guys, we're going to be saying, we're going to be saying, I'm really glad we let go of them when we did. I'm um, That's, that's where I'm at. I just, I, I got a good feeling about, where this team is going to be trending with this whole situation. But no, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I'm going to give that one a little bit more thought.
3: Joey, we have a lot of questions facing the Blues as they enter this next season. And the more I keep weighing different things, do you think it's fair to say that so much of their success next season is going to boil down to what Jordan Bennington can be?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, always. Always the goaltender is going to be in the spotlight. Um, so, I mean, you ask any team across the league and you ask them who's going to be a huge player for you this year, and, and they'll always go right to the goaltender, and, and that's the position. And that's the position he signed up for, and that's where the pressure comes from. Listen, this kid's had two incredible years, well, I guess a year and a half, of amazing hockey. You know, he had one little blimp there in the, in the bubble in Edmonton. He had a two-week stretch where he wasn't himself, and now the doubters come, come creeping back in. That's hockey, that's goaltending, that's sports. What are you going to do about it? But, you know, for me... From what we've seen over the last year and a half, there's no reason to doubt that he's not going to be that same consistent, just nails to the wall goaltender that we've seen for the majority of his time here in St. Louis. You know, another guy to keep an eye on uh, is going to be Billy Huso. I know, and, and a lot of blues players, uh, blues fans, excuse me, don't know much about this young, young fella. And Jake Allen, I remember having a conversation with him before uh, sometime around Christmas last year. And we were talking about Billy, and, and he said something pretty profound about our new backup. Who will, see, who will see games this year, by the way, because of how condensed this schedule is going to be, you're going to rely on your backup. So Billy Huso, according to Jake Allen, has some tools and has some mechanics and some techniques that Jake Allen says he's never, he's never seen before. And we were having a great conversation outside. the stall about it. And he said, Joey, honest to God, I don't know if anyone has uh, the capability and the potential. I've never seen a goalie with his tools like this before. And this is with Jordan Bennington here. This is with Jake Allen, a veteran of the league who's been around a long time. So a pretty profound statement about the Blues new backup, who we haven't seen a lot of this year. We haven't seen a lot of last year. Uh, he had a couple of injuries a little bit here and there. We've seen him a couple times in camp. But this young guy, I tell you what, even if Jordan Bennington has a couple spells where he gets a little bit loosey-goosey and he lets some, he lets a little leaky, which is, he's going to happen he's, he's a human, you do have a great backup, I believe, in uh, Billy Huso with about three and a half to four million dollars cheaper than you would have had for Jake Allen so I think it's a pretty smart move overall by by Doug Armstrong
2: Joey from a team standpoint when you've got a group of veterans and a young player like Husso walks into the dressing room how do you determine what his nickname is
5: (laughs) well it it has to end in an it or an e uh pretty much like I was "Vitz," and then but for the most part Randy you got to go with the an it's, an E, or an O. Those those are the kind of... It's almost like if you're Italian. You know what I mean? Every name's got to be ending in a vowel, I okay. think you got to say. So, So for Huso, I, I would say Hughes or... or um, I I'm I'm was sure thinking Huse. I was thinking Hughes or uh, huse the Moose. <laughs> uh, by my mind, I want to go to Hughes the Moose <laughs> right away. Yeah.
7: yeah,
5: But you know what I'm excited about? I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I'm excited to bring back a little
7: ooh
5: in a stadium. Remember the old days when Isaac Bruce would catch like a 20-yard pass? Mm-hmm. Everyone oh, was, yeah. like, Bruce... I think Huso could be the guy. Imagine him making a, imagine him making a big save, and you hear the the home crowd, Enterprise mm, Center, back yeah. building, huge. I mean, that would be kind of cool. Every now and then, you got a name it in the in sports that you can pull that off, and, and I think it could be him. So yeah, Huso, 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 uh, uh, Hugo Boss, Huso Boss. I don't know if I sense, but it's got to be short. It's gotta be condensed. It can't be more than two syllables and generally it has to end in a vowel.
3: Okay, let's keep spitballing here, Joey. Now, what would Randy Small, <laughs> Michelle Salman's hockey na- nicknames be? We need a hockey nickname generator here.
5: Easy. Randy character would be Carrie. That, <laughs> that one's easy. Uh Carrie. Uh, Michelle Small you'd be small. Of course, small. That's easy. This is this is way too easy. So I guess that kind of debunks my, my theory about ending in a vowel, but you'd be small. <laughs> And then uh, Randy would be, uh, he'd be Cary, absolutely. carry, all
3: right.
2: Yeah, so we got this figured out. So it's uh, Smalls, carry and Vitz.
5: <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, the, 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 best, the best nickname, I think, in the NHL right now, ongoing, uh, Thomas Tatar, who uh, just finished up with Montreal last year. He's been in the league a long time. I was with him briefly in Detroit when I got, when I got traded up in there. Uh, Thomas Tatar, his nickname is, get this, Tuna.
2: Now how did we get to tuna? Yeah. Oh,
5: tartar tuna. Tatar. Oh, yeah. okay. So oh,
2: that's great.
5: They call, they call tuna. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty clever one. I like that one.
2: That's like uh, Keith Kachuk. That that was one of my favorites too. And I think Eddie Olczyk gave him Walt because there was an old Rangers player in the seventies named Walt Kachuk, different spelling. Uh, so Keith Kachuk walks into the room as a rookie in Winnipeg, and uh, Eddie Olchuk says, "Calls him Walt," and that's how he became what? Walt forever.
5: And you know what? And and, and Keith Kachuk. Keith Kitchuck had those big uh, um, uh, bathrobes. He would just wear those, the old school, old school style in the locker room. So he kind of, he kind of like when I think of an old like rich man in his like huge mansion up in the up in Vale, Colorado, in, in, in a bathrobe. I, I think I think his name's probably Walt or Walter. So I think the Walt thing kind of kind of fit really well. Um, the only nickname that really stuck with me uh, before uh, before I became Bits or Bitsy, my whole childhood I was known as Spitz. I had a, a minor league coach at Afton Americans. He called me Spitz. And that was my nickname until I was about 17 years old. And I didn't realize this until years down the road. But when I was a kid, he goes, you're Spitz. And I was like, why? He goes, do you know who Mark Spitz is? And I was like, no. He's like, he's an Olympian. He's a diver, an Olympian diver. And all you do all, all over the ice, all you do is just <laughs> go 100 miles an hour and dive and just blow, blow crap up. And I was like, all right. I I thought last year Mark Spitz was a swimmer. He wasn't even a diver. (laughs) And a (laughs) seven-time gold medalist. Yeah, I'm like, this whole time, I was deceived. (laughs) Mark Spitz was a swimmer. Unbelievable. I think think my my coach had one too many martinis before practice
2: that day. (laughs) Hey, Joey, before we let you go, yesterday it was officially announced that the Winter Classic involving the Blues and the Wild has been postponed for a year. I guess the question is, your best guess as to when we might play hockey again?
5: You know, I saw that announcement. We kind of saw that coming, but, you know, the, you know, the official announcement always stinks probably a little bit. You know, and the thing is the Blues aren't even guaranteed to be the opponent. Uh, I think it's assumed right now, but there has been no guarantee that uh, if Minnesota and when they do in 2022 do get this game back, if it will be the Blues. Now, we sure hope it is, but there's been no official announcement. So keep your fingers crossed if you're a Blues fan for that. You know, when will hockey start again? Jeez, I mean, it is. There's just so much involved. There's there's a great little um, kind of uh, blueprint of new uh, divisions. I'm sure you guys have seen it on social media, which is interesting. It's all pretty much predicated on the fact that you can't cross the border. So the NHL has kind of come up with this, this this new platform. Well, if we can't cross the border, Canadian can't come to USA. USA's can't go to Canada, Canada. Well, we're gonna have to make a division in Canada. All the teams in Canada are going to play each other, and then the USA are going to battle it out. So what they did was all the Canadian teams are in one division, so it stretches across the entire country. Yeah, I feel sorry for Vancouver. They're going to have some tough travel if this is the, yeah. if this is the way it's going to go. Uh, Got to go, go all the way out to Montreal and Ottawa. Uh, and then, so the Blues, uh, which is the most important because they're the best team in the world, and they're our favorite team, they're, in, they're going to be in the Southern Division. So we're with you know the Floridas and the Carolinas and the Nashville's, which will be great. I'm really excited because Detroit's going to be now in our division if this if this holds up. Which we can get some old blood and old rivalry back into that and in that matchup. Chicago and then Columbus as well. Of course, a bunch of teams in the East will battle it out, and then in Minnesota, Dallas, Colorado will join all the Californias with Vegas. So it, it is, it is an interesting blueprint. I, I wonder if we're going to see that. I wonder if it's going to be more of a baseball like schedule, where you know Carolina will come to St. Louis, and instead of playing one game, we may see them play the Blues three or four times in a matter of six or seven days. It may be more of a pack schedule, like like when the, I, I've heard a lot of rumblings about that. I've heard that. I've also heard possibly uh, a lot of players I've talked to have said that there's this um, proposal that you'll go to every city once. Every team will go to every city once, and you'll play like a two-week bubble in that city. Then you're going to go home to your home city and have a week off at your home before you go to the next city. Uh, I'm telling you now, guys, if if that's the case, you may not see hockey this season because the players are so gung-ho about not doing any more bubbles. This bubble thing in Edmonton and Toronto – This set them back, and they're still feeling it. I think a lot of things were promised and guaranteed for them, excursions, fly fishing, golf. They were not delivered because they want to keep people safe. You see why the league did it. But I think the players feel a little deceived. That was, I mean, two and a half, three months away from your family. and I mean, that is a long time. So I do not believe the players are going to be willing to do any kind of bubble situation. So I I think it's going to have to work. Um, The one thing I did see today, a report from the Toronto Sun, I think Forbes did a nice article on it, just caught it this morning, was that Canada is considering – Um, getting rid of the 14-day quarantine and making it a rapid test uh, situation at the airport, which could be huge news for all the Toronto sports, of course, and all across the NHL, the Raptors, the Blue Jays, all that kind of great stuff. So if Canada can lower that 14-day quarantine and then open things up for a quick rapid test for the NHL teams, that is much more promising. Uh, But I'm sure hoping that, you know, February 1 seems to be the new target date uh, they push back to January 1. I, I don't think it's going to happen mid-January. I just think that's not enough time for teams to get together have camp. So I'm looking at a February start date. I'd shorten, It'll be a shortened season like we saw in 13-14, something like a lockout where you're playing 50 to 60 games. Keep in mind we're, we're up against the clock because the Olympics next summer. We can't be running too much into July and August for obvious reasons. So I've heard that June 30th will be the unofficial end date. So they have to get things in before June 30th. So the quicker, the better, guys. I'm thinking probably sometime in February. All
4: right, Joey V,
2: have a great weekend. Thanks for your time.
5: Michelle, Randy, you guys have a great day as well. Enjoy this. Uh, enjoy a little bit before the rain hits this weekend. It'll be good, though. we
2: Will do. That is Joey Vitale. He's our buddy, Blues Analyst on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight on character and Smallman. We are right back to the character and Smallman
1: podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Carriker and Smallman in the red corner average Joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome Randy Carricker.
3: welcome back to character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN it is time for the fight we know that Randy character normally wins the fight, but it's Friday, so maybe he's feeling a little loose. Maybe he's not focusing enough, Scott.
0: Could be. He's thinking about the weekend. He's thinking yeah. about that those nachos he didn't eat last That's night. Right. So he's got a lot on his mind other than sports right now, I think.
3: Randy loses, guess what, oh, twice since we started doing the show? It's a, it's basically an average of once every two or three months. He might tie. And then, lo- you know, lose because of the tiebreaker.
0: Yeah, he allowed uh, he allowed somebody to get in the Hall of Fame. I remember it was your birthday week because I asked a birthday question on the <laughs> Hall of Fame fight. That was
3: August. That was back in August. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and uh, that didn't go well. So since then, he's been on a hot streak.
3: <laughs> since <laughs> he's, August.
0: <laughs> he's been uh, six weeks of so these maybe lost the or twice since then.
3: Wow. All right, well, Scott, no pressure. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great maybe you can be the one to take Randy down. And we're cheering for you. Scott and I here are cheering for you, Scott. Not just because your name is Scott. All right, question number one for you. Who is the last Cardinals outfielder to win a gold glove? Is it Jim Edmonds, Jason Hayward, or Larry Walker?
6: Edmonds.
0: Question number two for you, Scott. The Giants' record is now one in six. When's the last time they made the playoffs? Was it the 2010-11 season, the 2013-14 season, or the 2016-17 season? Um, i to go uh, ten.
3: Scott, which team from the AL Central played in the World Series most recently? Was it the Indians, the Royals, or the Tigers?
0: Royals.
3: Sorry, can you say that one more time, Scott? Royals. The Royals. Okay.
0: And your final question, Scott. Which FCS program did Carson Wentz play QB for back in 2015? Was it North Dakota State, James Madison, or Appalachian State? i am going Appalachian
8: State.
3: Okay. Checking our scores. Speaking of fights, Scott informs you in the break that he almost threw hands last night in a... Beer league softball? Was it beer league?
0: Yeah, it was beer league. Okay, so
3: you know, take us through this, Scott. Because you were so nice. I can't imagine you getting in a fight.
0: I was uh, definitely one of the guys that was trying to make sure there wasn't going to be a fight. But some of the friends that were at the event uh, were getting heated. Rule number one in softball, don't ever hit a line drive back at the pitcher. And if somebody's listening right now and you were on that team last night, we're all good for me. We're all good here. Yeah, yeah. Don't show up here. Scott can't handle it. You hit a line drive back at my friend's father right in his arm. And you know, you just can't do that.
2: I thought rule number one was to not take out the female catcher when you
0: wanted to score at the plate. I don't. It,
3: this league isn't
0: co-ed, so maybe oh, okay. maybe this one backs up to yeah. rule number two.
3: <laughs> no line drives up the middle.
0: No, uh, that
8: is a definite rule. I was a pitcher for twenty years in
3: softball. Oh, Scott knows. Randy said yeah. good morning to Scott. He Hi, knows the rules.
2: Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
3: Scott, before we have Randy's portion of the fight, did you ever have an instance where you had a line dry mode that'll let you the Uh
2: Yeah, I've been hit several times. I had my nose
3: broke. Mm-hmm. Um, three different Because of a softball? Yeah, it hit the pitcher's mound and jumped up and hit me in the face. Okay, well, Scott is a warrior because mm-hmm. if one softball came at me once and broke my nose, that's the end of my softball Come career. Come on, you've
2: dealt with a broken nose before.
3: Yeah, and it, I'm still feeling the effects today. And that was because of I ran into a door frame once in a very very intense game of hide and seek in sixth grade. I don't I don't want to talk about it. It's very embarrassing. And then I say to my dad, my dad comes to pick me up from my friend's house, and I'm like, Dad, look at my nose. It's smashed on my face. I think I'm getting two black eyes, blood everywhere. And he's like, You're fine, rub some dirt on it. We gotta go to the Catholic school picnic. I'm like, What? Come on. Rub some dirt on it. He's like, nah, you're fine. And then, of course, the next couple days. You know, in the immediacy of it, sometimes you can't tell. It's when mm-hmm. the bruises come after. So in my dad's defense, he probably thought I was just complaining because I am a complainer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Scott, wow, three broken noses still play and still played softball after that. So Randy, Gamer. this is your opponent. Keep He's that tough. in mind. Keep that in mind, He's okay? Tough. Question number one for you, Randy. Who is the last Cardinals outfielder to win a gold glove?
2: Hmm. Harrison Bader did not win one. Um, let's see. I don't believe Matt Holiday won any. I We made a space Jimmy Bayball here. Um, I, I don't know if Beltran did or not. I'll, I'll do the lifeline.
3: Is it Jim Edmonds? Is it Jason Hayward? Is it Larry Walker?
2: Oh, I forgot about uh, the Jay Hay
0: kid. I'll go with him. All right, question number two for you, Randy. The Giants record is now one and six. Mm-hmm. Not great. When's the last time they made the playoffs?
2: Um, well, They definitely made it in 2011. That might be it when they went to the Super Bowl. They haven't been under McAdoo or Schirmer or this, this guy. <laughs> so they haven't made it since Tom Coughlin was their coach. So I am... Uh, I'm going to go with 2011.
3: Randy, which team from the AL Central played in the World Series most recently?
2: Well, let's see. You've had the Indians in 2016. Tigers haven't played since then. Twins haven't. White Sox haven't. Royals haven't. To go with the 2016 Tribe.
0: Last question for you, Randy. Which FCS program did Carson Wentz play QB for back in 2015? North Dakota State.
3: We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carriker. Brought
1: to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
3: Sorry, Scott. Randy beat you three to one, but you're still the toughest guy in this conversation right now. Definitely. So you can take that and tell your friends. All right, let's run through the answers here. Randy did beat you three to nothing. So I don't know if I get the score there. But the last Cardinals outfielder to win a Gold Glove Award was Jason Hayward back in 2015. The last time the Giants made the playoffs was 2016-2017. Hmm. They lost to the Packers 38-13 in the wild card game. The last AL Central team to play in the World Series was the Indians back in 2016. And Carson Wentz played for North Dakota State back in 2015. He played all four years there. Scott, thank you so much for playing. All right, thank you.
2: All right, we appreciate it, Scott. Coming up, the Big Ten is back. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com joins us to talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the
1: Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN, a big weekend of college football, the biggest one yet in 2020 with the Big Ten getting started this weekend. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Adam Rittenberg, senior football writer for college football for ESPN.com joins us. Adam, we always enjoy having you on the show. Thanks for your time this morning. Oh, Thanks for having me on. Good morning, guys. Well, let's start with this. Ohio State, we would presume, is going to be the best that the Big Ten has to offer. Uh, would you anticipate that this will be a typical Ohio State team? Well, yeah, I
9: think it is. You look at the quarterback position with Justin Fields returning off of an incredible 2019 season. You know, they do lose some key guys like Chase Young on the defensive line. But uh, should still be very good there overall. Veteran linebacking core. They have a potential top ten pick in the secondary with Sean Wade, who initially opted out. He's opting back in. And then offensively, they're just under such a uh, on such a great trajectory under under head coach Ryan Day and offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson. And so you know they, they may be you know one of these Alabama Clemson type offenses that's so powerful that uh, even great defenses struggle to slow them down. You saw that last week with Georgia and Alabama. It could be the case this year with you know really good defenses facing Ohio State. They just don't have enough answers for them offensively.
3: Adam, who do you think will challenge the Buckeyes for a Big Ten title?
9: Well, I just look at you know, Ohio State's performances um, during this run of Big Ten championships, and the one team that's been really close is Penn State. You know, they, Ohio State beat them by a single point in 2017 and 2018 after losing to Penn state in 2016. And then last year, the Ohio state runs the table, but the one team that really had them sweating for a little bit was Penn state. You know, they won that game by 11, but you know, that was a tight game for a little while in the second half. And so I think the key for Penn state is, you know, can they keep up offensively? They bring in a new offensive coordinator in Kirk Chiraca from Minnesota, who did a great job there. Can he elevate the Penn state offense with Sean Clifford, at quarterback, the way he did, with Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. So it really is Penn State until anyone else steps up. You know, could that be Michigan finally? Really depends on the quarterback position, I think. Uh, on the West, end, I think there's just some really good teams. I just don't know talent-wise if anybody can challenge Ohio State in the situation where the Buckeyes are playing for an opportunity for the playoff. You know, when Ohio State's lost, Recently, it's been you know games like Purdue and Iowa where maybe, maybe they weren't as locked in as they should have been. But when, when they have to win that big game, whether it's Michigan, whether it's the Big Ten Championship, they've found ways to deliver in recent years.
2: ESPN.com's Adam Rittenberg joining us on 101 ESPN. And Adam, I know here in the St. Louis area, several Nebraska fans that still have complete 100% faith in Scott Frost. And it seems like they're getting a little bit closer. Where is Nebraska, though?
9: Well, I think we're going to find out here not not necessarily this weekend because it's a really tough opener with Ohio State, but just in the next few weeks. I, you know, I think that they believe they're going to be a better team and I think the key area will be defense. You know, I think I, you know I, the the offense is going to be fine there in the long run. Scott has a really good track record whether it was at Oregon as the offensive coordinator or UCF as the head coach. You know, and even his first year at Nebraska, to my offensive potency. But you know, their defensive personnel, coaches have told me for years, this isn't great. And they even lost some players to the NFL from last year's defensive line. So how are they going to perform on that side of the ball, uh, You know, Iowa or a Wisconsin or a Minnesota on, in the West Division? And they have some really tough draws with, uh, with both Ohio State and Penn State in crossovers, so they get the two best teams in the league, in my view, uh, in, in the crossover game. So this is going to be a tough year, but I, I think you're going to look at um, you know, can they compete better in the West division? And how is their defensive personnel? Are they taking a step forward on that side of the ball? Because that's what's really dragged out in recent years.
3: Okay, Adam, let's stick in the Big Ten West. As an Illinois grad, I have to ask you about my Illini. I have seen them projected by some to be as high as third in the Big Ten West or as low as seventh. So tell me what your expectations for this Illini football team are.
9: Yeah, Michelle, I mean I think a lot of teams could be in that range in the West honestly. Um there there's a lot of similarities, especially if Illinois continues to move through, you know, last year they clearly did getting to a bowl game. They get Brandon Peters back. I like their potential on offense, and you know they take the ball away on defense. I don't think they're a particularly elite defense or talented defense, but they make plays, and that's always been you know, Lovey Smith's calling card when he was in the NFL uh, as a coordinator, as a head coach. You know, th- his defense is a uh, forced takeaways, and if they can do that, you know, they're going to be in a lot of these games in-, in the West Division. Tonight will be really interesting. You know They go against a, a first-time starting quarterback, in Graham Mertz for Wisconsin after Jack Cohn, who had been their starter, you know, had a, a foot injury, unfortunately, a few weeks ago in practice. You know, Graham Mertz is the highest-rated quarterback in Wisconsin history, but he hasn't played uh, a real significant game yet. So can Illinois and their defense take advantage of that and then are they able to, to put up some points? So I think, uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see Illinois, if you study some of the advanced statistics, weren't great last year. You know, they made some great comebacks and found a way to get to six wins. But they're going to have to take a step forward overall as a team and not just rely on those takeaways to get them some of those, uh, some of those crazy wins like they had last year. But um, you know, certainly an uh, interesting opportunity here. They get Wisconsin and Minnesota, two of the better teams in the West, in two of the first three games. So we'll see how they handle both of those opportunities. I think you'll get a sense early on whether this team is truly improving or whether they just got fortunate at the end of last year.
2: Hey, Adam, it's my view that Alabama made it over their their biggest hurdle last week when they beat Georgia. But Clemson still has a big one in a couple of weeks against Notre Dame. The the, the Fighting Irish people that might not be paying attention, Fighting Irish are third, and they're pretty darn good. That should be a really good game, shouldn't it, at Notre Dame?
9: Yeah, it should. Notre Dame's got to play a lot better than they played last week against Louisville. I mean, 12 points is not going to get it done against Clemson, um, especially with the way Trevor Lawrence is performing at quarterback. And so, this is a big week for Notre Dame going to Pitt. You know, Pitt's lost three in a row, two by a single point. You know, Pitt's a team that's wildly inconsistent. They can lose to anybody and beat anybody. And so, Notre Dame's got to be very aware of them, and I think Notre Dame's got to get their passing game going, especially the wide receiver position, hasn't been good enough. And so I think if they can get past Pitt, you know they should beat Georgia Tech a week from now. That sets up the big one with Clemson. Notre Dame's defense is, is really good. Their offensive line might be one of the best in the country. They can run the ball. But as you guys know in watching you know, games like Alabama and Georgia, you have to throw the ball and create big plays at a high level in order to beat the elite. And so uh, that's what Notre Dame's got to figure out a way to do here. They've, they've got some tight ends. They don't seem very uh, elite at wide receiver, and that's, a, that, that, that's an area to watch here. Can Ian Book, as a senior quarterback with a ton of experience, start creating more big plays in the passing game? If not, I, I don't see how they beat Clemson on November 7th.
2: Before we let you go, let's talk a little bit about Mizzou. They had the big win over LSU a couple of weeks ago, and then last week was postponed. They've lost five in a row to Kentucky. What do you see for Mizzou and Kentucky tomorrow?
9: Right. Well, it'll be a much bigger challenge, uh, you know, from the for the Mizzou offense against the Kentucky defense that's really played well. I mean, they essentially held the State to scoreless a couple of weeks ago. You created four first half turnovers against Tennessee last week. And so, you know, LSU was a mess defensively, and Missouri took advantage of them to their credit. But this is going to be a different deal, you know, for for the young quarterback for, for, for Missouri. So I'm interested to see how they perform after, you know, an unexpected you know, week off. You know, we thought they'd be back in action last week, and and, and because of the COVID situation, they had uh, another week off. So, how 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 crisp are they? Um, but you know, they do get Kentucky at home. Kentucky's not an overwhelming offense by any means. They win the game with defense and their offensive line and running the ball. So, I think it's a real good opportunity for Eli Drinkwitz's team to generate some momentum after that great win against LSU. You win this game, obviously some tough ones coming up with Florida and Georgia, but uh, this is a season about you know, setting the tone for the future and, and winning, you know, two, three, four SEC games is
2: going to be a good sign for, for, for Eli and that team. Adam, you're always great for us. Thanks so much. Enjoy your football weekend and we'll talk soon.
9: You too. Enjoy it. Thanks.
2: Appreciate it. That is Adam Rittenberg, ESPN.com. With us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. By the way, it's kind of a gauntlet for Mizzou with Kentucky tomorrow. And as we mentioned, Kentucky has been a thorn in the side of Barry Odom at Mizzou. And before that, even Gary Pinkle, the last time he played against UK. Then the Tigers visit Florida on Halloween. And then they've got Georgia at home. So your next three games are against really tough teams before you go to South Carolina on November 21st. Eli's team is going to have its hands full.
3: Welcome. What did he say? This yep. is the best league in the world for a reason?
2: Right. That's that's why we joined it. It's
3: big boy football, right, Randy? Yep.
2: Absolutely. Next up, today's big thing, including this day in Cardinals postseason history. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN presents this State in
1: Cardinal Postseason History Looking back at the journeys to 11 World Championships
7: Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems The highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement expert WoodsBasementSystems.com On
1: 101 ESPN
2: So Michelle, Tony hired... 25 years ago today 35 years ago today on October 23rd, 1985 Game 4 of the World Series at Bush 2. Cardinals and Royals Vince Coleman had been injured, run over by a tarp during the NLCS John Tudor on the mound for the Cardinals Bud Black for KC and Coleman's replacement in left field Tito Landrum started the Redbirds scoring One nothing on Landrum's home run, and then two innings later. I found that. Al Michaels, the call on ABC. The Cardinals won behind a dominant performance from John Tudor, a complete game five hitter. And with their 3 nothing win, Michelle, Cardinals took a 3-1 lead in the series. So you figure you got it wrapped up when you're up 3-1, right? That's what
3: you would think. Yeah, you're at least feeling confident.
2: Yeah, Royals won 85 games that year. The Cardinals won 101. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. though you didn't have Vince Coleman, you got to feel pretty good.
3: So, what happened, Randy? Yeah, well,
2: that's, uh, they, they didn't win it here. I remember leaving game five and seeing all the Cardinals' world champions' t shirts and banners. Yeah. Then they didn't win game six. And we could argue that Don Denkinger may or may not have had something to do with that. And then Tony Lewis, after that game, walked into the clubhouse and said, Well, that was our shot, boys. Then the next night, they lost 11 to nothing. Tudor got lit up, and Brett Saberhagen was unbelievable. And the Cardinals lost the last three and lost the World Series.
3: 3-1 lead, never safe.
2: Never. It's the most dangerous lead in World Series play. Well, Or honest, NBA. Statistically, we wouldn't say that. All right, tomorrow, October 24th, Game 3 of the World Series in 2006 at Busch Stadium and a Daily Star in this segment. Bottom of the fourth with two runners on. Edmonds grounds at fair. Pass first down the right field line. Two runs are going to score. Belliard is held at third. Edmonds has delivered for St. Louis, two nothing. He always did.
3: Always. <laughs> what did we say? We should just rename this. What has Jim Edmonds done on this day in, in postseason October, history? Yeah.
2: yeah. Unbelievable. Cardinals won that. one five to nothing over the Tigers and took a two-one series lead and won two more and took the series in five. And that is today in Cardinal postseason history on 101
3: ESPN. I love this segment.
2: It's pretty fun to be able to relive the success that the Cardinals have enjoyed in the postseason. It's amazing.
3: But think about the state or the mental state, I should say of Cardinal Nation right now and the frustration they feel. It's because of all of these great moments that we have put on display for the That's why fans demand a certain level of excellence. The fans do their part. When they're allowed to be there, they show up. They buy merchandise. They support the team in a crazy passionate manner. And they want a winner. They want these moments. This is why they buy in so much.
2: So what you're saying is is that the Cardinals have created their own monster of expectation. Basically. Yeah. It's It's a uh, way of
3: life here. It's what you expect. Expect Cardinal postseason baseball and magical moments. Right.
2: And it's interesting because until 1996, you went from 1987 to 1996 without making the playoffs at all. And I I don't think that fans were as angry then. In 1995, 1996, as they are now, obviously a lot of anger is enhanced by the presence of the internet and social media. But, but there are there have been a, there's been a lot more winning. There, if you were born in 2000 and you're 20 years old right now. You've had the team go to the playoffs. You can remember in 2000. Let's go back to uh, if you were born in 19. my, My son, Patrick, born in 1994. So the Cardinals go to the playoffs when he's two. He doesn't remember that. But then he gets to be seven years old and they go to the playoffs in 01. They go to the playoffs in 02. They go to the playoffs in 04 in the World Series. Go to the playoffs in 05. NLCS go to the playoffs in 06 go to the World Series 07 08 they missed and those kids are mad Uh, go to the playoffs in 09 go to the World Series in 11 and win it go to the playoffs in 12 go to the playoffs in the World Series in 13 go to the playoffs in 14 15 so if, if you're 20 St. Louis you've been spoiled badly
3: you really have And they, you know, what's the saying? Good is the enemy of great. Mm -hmm. When you've been great and you know what greatness is, you can't settle for good. The team is not tanking. They're not terrible. They're always in the conversation. They're always vying for the division. Even when they don't make the postseason, it's down to the last week. They always give you entertainment and they're at least competitive. But when you've tasted great for so long, you can't tolerate good.
2: And that's the sad part of it is that... Even though the Cardinals go to the playoffs, went to the NLCS last year, people can't enjoy it.
3: No. I couldn't believe the text, the emails, the mic drops that we were getting heading into this 2020 season. This was pre-pandemic. And just this the frustration and the angst and the general, I don't want to say apathy because that's not the right word, but just kind of, a, hey, I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that this is not going to be a good team coming off an NLCS yeah. run.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN, including this day in Cardinal postseason history. Next up, speaking of anger and angst, will there be a lot in St. Louis if Yadier Molina isn't a Cardinal in 2021? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy and Yadier Molina was in the news yesterday because he wasn't one of the three finalists for the National League Gold Glove Awards. Among catchers, uh, he was upset about it. He put a post up on Instagram and said that uh, essentially baseball was not going to give him the gold glove because he wasn't one of their puppets. He didn't do what they wanted to do all the time. And as it turns out, it's not that at all. The Gold Gloves this year are being chosen by analytics, by numbers, which kind of makes sense because the managers and coaches in the National League West and the National League East don't even get to see the Central. That being said, the Central, Michelle, does have the three finalists for the Gold Glove at catcher, Tucker Barnhart of the Reds, Wilson Contreras of the Cubs, Jacob Stallings of the Pirates. One of the things that this tells us is that analytically, Yachty's defense isn't what it was. We can tell by looking at the numbers that his offense isn't what it was. And he's a free agent that wants to sign a two-year contract. And I I believe if I were in the Cardinals' shoes and he would only sign a two-year deal, I would say it's been great, but we're going to move on here. Because by the time we're ready to be great again, you are not going to be an effective player, and sometimes we talk about how great Doug Armstrong is because he's got ice water in his veins that mm-hmm. he's so cold and unemotional. And I know that this would be a highly emotional move for the Cardinals and fans, but at some point you have to place—you uh, have to place winning above feels.
3: Yeah, you do, and it's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. But are you really better as a program without Yadi or Molina?
2: In 2021, probably not. In 2020, 2022, probably. And the only way you do that, by the way, the only way you get better in 2022 is by having your young catcher, Andrew Kisner, play. They've already gone through one good young catcher in Carson Kelly. Kisner is going to turn 26 next year. He's been sitting on the bench waiting for an opportunity. And he's not there yet. He is not great Defensively, They talk about the bat, but he does need work defensively. And the only way you get that is by playing.
3: Randy, if Adam Wainwright isn't back next season, who's the leader of this team?
2: That's a great question, and I would have trouble answering that right now. I, maybe Goldschmidt?
3: I think Goldie leads in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's the guy that necessarily revels in the fact that he's going to set the tone and set the tempo for think about Adam Wayne right who would text people, text mm-hmm. the team and say, tomorrow's the biggest game of the year. And he would set the tone for them, not only emotionally, uh, verbally, but then he would go out there and he would get the ball and he would get them a win or put them in a position to win in a really important spot. Yadier Molina is a guy that inspires his teammates every day. How many guys have said, watching Weno and yadi and what they're doing, especially watching yadi and how tough he is coming off after COVID or an injury, whatever it may be, the fact that this guy wants to play every day and he's still able to go out there and do it he does, that inspires us. We can't believe that we're in the presence of a guy like this. This is a team that is searching for that next generation of leadership but until you have that person in place and I think they're ready to take the reins over, whether it is a Kisner or whether it is a Carlson, etc. I think you're losing a lot, not only from an intangible perspective from or Molina but the things that he does on the field too.
2: But at the end of the day, what you need is production and people wondered what the Cardinals were going to do for a bat when Mark McGuire couldn't play anymore after 2001, and they wound up with a pretty good one. Ozzie Smith was a really good leader on this team. And the Cardinals have been to four World Series since he retired by finding other leaders. And what you have to do as an organization is you have to build that. And that's another aspect to this is, are you going to be able to build leadership within that clubhouse as long as Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright are in that clubhouse? How do people become leaders if other people are the leaders?
3: If we're power ranking the production concerns we have on the team, Yadier doesn't crack the top five. Is he in the top seven question marks you have? Maybe. But I would rather them focus on production elsewhere and their lineup than worry about Yachty. I just think that there's so much you would be lacking and missing if you say goodbye to him.
2: Well, if if they had a third baseman that they could bring up right now, if Nolan Gorman was, his ETA was 2021 20, and you can play him, play him. Like, absolutely. But that's where Kisner is right now. Kisner spent a couple of years in the majors. He turns uh, 26 in February. And at some point, you got to get those guys in there. Do you want him to be a 27-year-old with no experience in 2022 when you feel like the rest of your team is ready to take off, when you feel like Dylan Carlson is, is ready to go and you bring up Gorman and you want him to play and Goldschmidt is on the back nine, how many guys do you want with zero experience when you start that 2022 season?
3: I don't know if it would be zero experience because I, I would even if maybe in 20, let's say Yadi comes back for two years. Yadi comes, comes back, back for,
7: for two, two years. years.
3: Even if in 2021, he wants to take the majority of the games and say, you're not going to sit me. There's no way I'm, pl- I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm playing. Okay, fine. In that last season, if if it's a two-year deal and it's in that last season, as much as Yachty means to this organization and as much as he wants to play in, as much as he's probably dictated in the past, last season, that's when you say, hey— We're making this decision. We need to get this guy ready. You have been such a great mentor to him. He's learned so much from you. But it's time for us to start weaving him in here. And that's when you have the power is that last final season. So then not only do you have Yachty there that first year, and he can probably give you what you need. That second year, you're in the driver's seat there. That's up to them to take control back. That's not Yachty's fault. That's their fault.
2: That's one of the other reasons that it would be smart to let him go, because there's such thing as negative leadership, too. And if he's unhappy and he's the leader of your team, that permeates throughout the clubhouse. I've seen that happen before with unhappy leaders that just cause massive consternation within locker rooms. And if a guy has been in charge of an organization, at least in that clubhouse, for 20 years and all of a sudden you're telling him, no, you, you aren't anymore. We're going to try to take control of our organization back, but you're still going to be here. I can't imagine that that's going to go over very well with him.
3: It might not go over well with him, but... He's a guy who wants to play every day. He's a guy who has fire, who has passion, who, as we talked about last segment, has the Tony La Russa, my foot is on the gas at all times. Here's a guy who's getting towards, at some point, the end of his career, who takes the offseason and he's constantly watching video and trying to improve and trying to find an edge that he can have over, over opposing hitters. He's a guy who's running several miles a day to get in the best shape of his life. I want that intensity in my clubhouse. And whether... That comes out on Instagram or whatever. That's up to other people in the organization to say, yeah, Yadi's upset, but you need to have that same fire and that same passion.
2: Is it, It's great to have. And I give him so much credit for being in great shape and wanting to be great. But at some point, the spirit is willing and the body isn't able anymore. We the early five years of declining offensive production. We can see clearly that the the numbers defensively aren't allowing him to be among the top, even in, in his division, defensively. And we get a text uh, that uh, Randy 200% wrong. If Kiz was close, he would have made the postseason roster over a guy with a broken toe. Here's the thing. How do you find out about Andrew Kisner if you never play him? You don't. So,
3: but that's you... what 2022 is for.
2: So you're going to give away 2021 and 2022?
3: No, I I think it's up to the Cardinals to say in that final year of the contract, hey. Or, or after he signs the deal even, say, listen, this is, if they go to Yadier Molina and say, listen, we value you, we need you, this is what we're going to do financially. But part of this is that at some point you're going to have to realize that we have to work in Kisner, Herrera, whoever it might be, because there is an end to this contract.
2: But they tried that with Carson Kelly and he said no.
3: But that was at a different stage of his career. He says he wants to play, what, until he's 40? So
2: do you really believe that he's going to think that he's... Thirty-nine or forty—that he's going to believe he's any lesser of a player. He—he he Instagrammed yesterday that he's the best catcher in the National League, right? And if he's—he he, is—he's clearly offensively and defensively not, but he still thinks he is. At what point is he going to think that he's not anymore?
3: I don't, maybe he never will. I don't think he will. But I would rather have a guy on my team that thinks he's the best and wants to play, and I would like to put that pressure on the people who get paid to coach him and manage him. You're, it's up to them to say he's not good enough.
2: And that's what they would be saying by letting him walk. That's the bottom one. That's what I, th- I think.
3: Yeah, you're right. They would. So,
2: that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Great to have you with us. Next up, we're going to talk to Ray's left-hander, Josh Fleming. World Series Game 3 tonight here on 101 ESPN. And the St. Louis product is going to join me and Randy next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN tonight, 6:30 pregame for Game Three of the World Series, as Scott told you. And joining us right now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the Rays lefty from St. Louis and Webster University, Josh Fleming. Now a friend of the show. Once Josh, once you're with us twice, you're official <laughs> friend of the show. How you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Thank you
8: for having me again.
3: All right, Josh. So you've had a, a very wild season. They always said it was a sprint, not a marathon, and you had so many back-to-back games in the postseason. What was it like to have an off day?
8: It was very, very nice. I have to say, um, I, I literally did nothing yesterday. It was, it was pretty nice.
2: That's that's very cool. Hey, tell us about that experience when you came in for your very first World Series experience. That's something that I know that as a kid we all dreamed of. So obviously you did. Mm-hmm. So what was the reality like when you got to pitch in a World Series game?
8: Um, you know, I kind of didn't think about it at the time. Um, I know it's crazy. It, it's crazy to hear, but it was after the game is when I was like, it kind of hit me, and I was like, man, I just threw in the World Series. It, it was pretty <laughs> surreal, um, but it was it was very special. Yeah.
3: Josh, what's that like for your family, for your parents, because they've watched you every step of the way throughout this journey. What was it like for your family to say, wow, Josh pitched in a World Series game?
8: Yeah, they, they were actually uh, down here, um, my, my parents and my grandparents. Um, so they, they got to see me throw live and, and you know, I FaceTimed them after and, and they were just, I mean, grinning ear to ear, just couldn't believe it. Um, I mean, like you said, it's, a, it's what everyone dreams of. And and for them to see me in person throw in the World Series was just awesome.
3: Oh, I'm sure I can't even imagine how proud they are. That's so cool. And Josh, mm-hmm. what's yeah. it like for you guys to have some fans in the stands? Is that any different for you?
8: Um, honestly, it's once once I was in the game, um, you know, I was just kind of so so focused that I kind of zoned them out and didn't even realize they were there. It, 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 it might sound weird, but it—I it just—I was so focused to where it just kind of zoned them all out and didn't even think about it. Um, but you know, when I take a step back and look at it, there's the twelve thousand fans feels like you know a hundred thousand because there hadn't been any there all season. Um, and so, just to hear the roar of the crowds and everything, it, it's awesome.
2: Josh Fleming with us on 101 ESPN left-hander for the Rays and you get to see Betts and Seager and Turner and Muncy and Smith and Bellinger. Cody Bellinger is a number 6 hitter. Do you ever think <laughs> to yourself as a pitcher, oh, what's going on yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that lineup's an all-star
8: team, you know, that just full of studs and and obviously MVPs and stuff like that. Um but you know, got in there and I was able to work around some some jams i guess you know i gave a couple runs in the first inning that i threw but um was able to settle down and and you know get get through two and two-thirds which was pretty big
2: josh for those that haven't watched the rays until now until the world series if if the rays are going to win four games against the dodgers what's going to have to happen
8: um i mean just kind of same as it's been all season um it's gonna gonna have to stay solid and and i have no doubts it will um you know our bullpen's been been huge this playoffs. Our starters have been huge this playoffs. So if we can keep that up, um, and and I think you know the bats are starting to come alive. Um, we saw that in game two. Um, we got a you know bunch of hits in a row, scored some runs. Um, you know Brandon Lau obviously two home runs, which was huge. Um, you know I think he's going to continue to just keep hitting and barreling up balls. So I mean if we just keep hitting and and pitching stays consistent, I think we can uh, I think we can do it.
3: And what's the confidence level like among the team right now? You had to feel pretty good heading into Game Three after you were able to even the series.
8: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's high right now. Um, it it always has been. You know, even after a loss, it's we we don't think anything of it. You just move on to the next game and, and keep playing, raised baseball.
2: Where does that come from? Is is that a Kevin Cash thing, or is, does that come from within the clubhouse? How how do you guys have that attitude?
8: It's I mean it, it comes all the way from the top. Um, obviously, Cashy too, but. Just the you know the way the clubhouse is after after games. It's no one's ever down. No one's ever you know bum that we just lost. It's it's always move on to the next and and the culture around the you know around the team is just it, it's none other. It's like none other.
2: I know that you've uh there there was a feature done on your uh friendship with your fellow St. Louis and Pete Fairbanks. Tell us about Pete and <laughs> and you guys friendship. Um,
8: you know it's. It's it's pretty funny how how we met. I mean, we had had the same agent and everything, um, knew of him before he got traded, and and I think I mentioned it last time I was on the show, but he, you know, he right away started giving me crap about not being from St. Louis, which is just dumb. <laughs> um, I mean, we basically lived in the same area for three years and and whatnot, but I mean, he, he's awesome. He, he's a great friend, and and we've gotten pretty close over the last year and a half or so, um, but. I mean, he, he's nails, too. You see him coming out of the bullpen. He's, you know, 98 to, to 101. I mean, there's, there's no doubts that when he goes in the game, it's, he didn't get the job done. So, um, obviously, he's, he's been a big part of the bullpen, and he'll continue to be for, you know, many, many years.
3: Josh, we also talked to you the last time we visited about Randy Rosarena and what he's been able to do. Obviously, the, Dodger, the Dodgers are being careful with him. From a pitching perspective, mm-hmm. how do you see them pitching Randy Rosarena?
8: I mean, I don't want to say they're they're timid of it, but th- there's definitely you know a sense of okay, kind of pitch around him when when no one's on. Um, and I mean, it's I don't know how you pitch to a guy who's that hot. I think he's one hit away from breaking the record for most most postseason hits and a home run away from tying the record. So it, it, I mean, it's got to be tough on their end. Um, but I, I just I don't even know. I don't know how you pitch to a guy like that.
2: It's got to be cool from your perspective, Josh, to have a guy like Charlie Morton going who's just been an absolute postseason stud.
8: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's awesome. He's been clutch, you know, in big games, um, postseason, you know, with with a a sub one ERA. I mean, he is as clutch as it gets when it comes to to throwing in big games. And so tonight I think he's going to continue to be, you know, himself. He's going to go out there and he's going to give us a great game and, you know, I think we're going to come out with the win. Um, with him on the mound, you know, everyone thinks we're going to win. So,
2: when, when you guys are out in the bullpen, how much of a read can you get? And obviously you're left-handed, he's right-handed, so it's a little bit different. But in terms of just the way he pitches an opponent, can you get a lot from being out in the bullpen? Yeah, I think you learn, you know, just from watching it. And we have TVs
8: out there, too. Like, we, we can see, you know, how, how he attacks hitters and, and what those wins he goes with. So you, you definitely get a read. Um but with Chuck, it's just, it's it's different. You know, he, he's not not that everyone's, you know, afraid of going out there. He's just, he has no fear. And, and he's not, you know, he go, go at, you know, the best hitter on the team. Like Mike Mookie, he's going to go right at him tonight. He's not going to beat around the bush with him. He's just going to go right at him. So he definitely learned from that.
2: So when you guys are out in the bullpen, number one, who's the ringleader of the goofy bullpen games? And what's <laughs> the best bullpen game that you guys play?
8: Hmm. The ringleader. I don't even know. I don't. I don't know who who we have as the ringleader. I guess, I mean, I would say our our, our bullpen coach. He, he's the one that runs our our trivia every day. Um, you have, so you have bullpen I, trivia out there? Guess, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, we have like a a sheet that that has stats from either previous games or or previous weeks and stuff, and it'll have like like for instance, last week uh, Manny Margot had he was the second person. To have more RBIs in the postseason than the regular season, and the question was who was the other person. And so, I mean, sometimes it takes an inning or two. Sometimes it takes, you know, five seconds. But everyone's always on their toes in the second inning, waiting for that trivia question.
2: <laughs> I know this one's going to come up in a four o'clock fight. Do you remember what the answer was, or an eight thirty fight now here in the morning? Yeah,
3: we have a fight I, every I day, do. Josh.
2: I do.
8: It was it was John Carlos Stanton.
3: Ah, okay,
8: beautiful. And it was it was from this postseason.
2: Okay. See, you give us something every day. Now that won't be on the fight and I won't, I won't miss that one. <laughs> hey, hey, Josh, we're rooting so hard for you guys. Uh, you, you guys are representing St. Louis so well. We're excited about what you personally are doing. So glad that your family is down there too. That, that part of it has to be pretty awesome.
8: Yeah, it, it's so special. And, uh, you know, my fiance and her family got to come down. They're, they're down here now. Um, they drove down yesterday on the off day. So they'll be here for, for the weekend. And, And I know they haven't seen me throw since my first season. So that'll be pretty exciting. Um, You know, hopefully get in there again and and let them see me throw too.
2: Well, we'll be watching. And as we told you last week, everybody in St. Louis is rooting for you. We'll have our eyes on you tonight. Good luck and go get them. Thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Take care. That is Josh Fleming. He, of course, a native of Bridgeton, grew up in Columbia, Illinois, and then um, made his way to Webster University before making his way to pro baseball and now pitching in the World Series for the
3: Rays. And, you know, we have said many times that we are the home of the Tampa Bay Rays here in St. Louis with, uh, with um, all of our friends that we've had on the show a lot. But, Randy, they clearly have that reciprocated love because they're doing the fight in the bullpen.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Clearly they're streaming
3: character and Smallman, and they're doing the fight.
2: Bullpen trivia with the Tampa Bay Rays. And once again, if you're driving her on tonight, we'll have the action for you here on 101 ESPN. By the way, another thing that we're going to have is Sunday night, the Sunday night game has been changed. It was supposed to be the Raiders and Tampa, but... The Raiders offensive line has been quarantined, so they don't even know if they're going to be able to play that game. NFL needs to have a Sunday night game, so they've moved Raiders Bucks to 3 o'clock, and we will have for you Seahawks Cardinals Sunday night football here on 101 ESPN. And then Monday night, we've got Bears and Rams on Monday night football here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with our friend Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up in the 10 o'clock hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101
1: ESPN.
2: Scoops with Danny Mac, Dan McLaughlin in
4: the 10 o'clock hour. And uh, our friend is here in studio now. I'm going to make uh, Michelle very happy today. Oh, very happy. Why well, is that, Dan? Illini football. Here we go. Going to be talking Illini football. Like it. Uh, Brian Barnhart is going to be my guest. Amazing. Yeah, he's he's a friend of mine. i uh, had the chance to know, uh, get to know him through uh, doing Illini nights at the ballpark. So he's yeah. the voice of the Illini, and um, he'll be my guest coming up as they kick off against Wisconsin tonight. I have a feeling that we're going to get to tomorrow and the Big Ten is going to be playing and we're just going to feel like it's normal in terms of football. You know what's going to be weird is that you're going to get to the fourth quarter tonight and they're going to be in Madison and they're not going to be doing jump around. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's just going to be like. Great call. Okay, it's the fourth quarter and here we are in Madison. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but I talked to Brian yesterday about it and we'll talk about it on the show, I'm sure, but. Um, he was asking me. He said, you know, we're we're gonna be. He is traveling uh, today, not with the team. The team traveled before. Big Ten is very tight with their protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to th- th- they're having daily testing and. Uh, SEC is a little different with their protocols. Pac-12 is different, and all the different conferences are, are using different ways to do it. But much of the SEC, they just, just don't even have protocols. That's, uh, <laughs> Randy, that's not true. And uh, Randy, I, it's going to be interesting how the Big Ten gets through it. I mean, they're they're testing. The schools are testing differently. The Pac the, the, the Big Ten is testing in which if a, a player gets it, they're out twenty one days. No questions wow. asked. Twenty one days and mm-hmm. they've got eight straight weeks in conference play to get this thing in with no bye weeks. So That's right. it's gonna be tough for them to get through this. I, I hope they do. Um, but I think it's gonna be tough for them to get through it. I really do. I just, just read the tea leaves and how NFL's struggling with their testing and as as tight as they're trying to be and obviously the SEC is having their issues, so we'll see if they can.
3: But as we've seen with the other sports though, even if there's a hiccup, they're gonna continue forward. You know, they're gonna yeah. find a way to progress.
4: I'm I'm concerned as we look forward with just the, the lack of, of bodies like numbers with basketball. Yeah, you know. So with football, you've got a number of, of players. It's just common sense. You've got a, a long list of bodies, numbers, people on scholarship. Um, when it comes down to basketball, I'm I'm very concerned with that. But how they are able to separate and social distance as much as they can away from the court. Hopefully they can get through it because I really want to see SLU play. I Mm -hmm. really want to see the Illini play too, and I think Mizzou's going to be better. So locally it could be a good year for for Hoops. Konzo needs to be better. This is a
2: big – and I believe he can't still be fired this year, but I think
4: after next year – they can take a look at it. He just needs to get better players in there. Um we have Dave I had Dave Matter on the show. I don't know if you guys listened to it. I yeah, think it was did. Monday or Tuesday, and he said without naming names or numbers, I guess there was a it ran through their team a little bit. So who knows? You know, yeah. maybe some of those guys are immune for a bit, you know, not knowing how it all works and plays out. So sometimes, as we've said, it's could it be the healthiest team, uh, you know, are the teams that have been affected by this already kind of have an advantage? I, I hate saying that, but maybe they do early on. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, our, Isn't that terrible to say? God, yeah, I hate it, saying that. But, no, that's what the world has become. Yeah.
2: And, and it's not just us. It's every walk of life. We, we focus on sports, but, yeah, it's, it's
4: crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's a different world that we're living in. Yeah, but I, I agree. He's got to have... And I'm a big believer in Conzo. I mean he he got it going mm-hmm. with Missouri State and Tennessee out of Cal, and I think he can get it going in Missouri. I, agree, I yeah. agree. He's just had bad, really bad luck. Yeah. Unbelievable with both porters. Yep. Think about different things to do oh, with Oh my ben. goodness. Right. If those kids stay even just one year or the one healthy year, just with one Michael. Healthier. Yeah. It's a it's a different story. Yeah. One healthy year with each, and then yep. you, not only do you get those guys
2: but you're visible for more recruits. too.
4: Absolutely. Illinois is going to be really good this year. SLU is going to be fantastic. I think this year, Mm -hmm. I think SLU uh, is a dark horse in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe are they, is a dark horse the right word to use? I don't know. I, if you had a regular season, I think they win the a 10. Mm -hmm. Um, So then are you really a dark horse? But I would think people around the country probably would not have them in the final four in their brackets. I would agree, and I think because they're a veteran team, I would say this in normal season, and and when you have two returning seniors that have a potential to be, you know, all conference and maybe, you know, second, third team All-American kind of guys in Goodwin and and Hassan French, you're really not a dark horse. You're you're just a veteran-laden team, and you got a chance to, to do some damage because you've got... Not freshmen and sophomores, which is what a lot of college basketball is. You got four year guys. The styles to emulate, and there are two for St. Louis University.
2: And people always talk about how they should become the Gonzaga of the Midwest. Which and Javante Perkins, I should mention yeah, too. Right, good player. Yeah. The other one is the way Izzo has always done things at Michigan State. You know, they aren't getting the the number one recruits, they're they are getting one-and-dones. Michigan State isn't. that. If you want to take a Power Five school to emulate, if you're St. Louis University, that's the one. And by the way, Izzo's ideas and thought processes
4: came from Rick Majeris. Right. And Travis Ford did such an incredible job to start this program right in that he, I, I was talking with him, I guess it was Sunday, he was at every game of Goodwin and French going into to get them here, to to SLU, Mm -hmm. did not miss a game and was at just about every practice that he was allowed to go to and made them the two primary guys and said, I'm building around you, and now here they are. They came to SLU. My son Patrick went to SLU and worked in the athletic department
2: for a couple of years, and aside from being around the gym at times, never saw Jim Cruz, never did. The students didn't. Travis Ford's first day on the job, He's got a huge plate of cookies that he's taking up to the students <laughs> in, the, in the, the, not the dining hall, but uh, the student center and stuff really? like that. Yeah, and he's engaging with the students, and that's one of the reasons that the student section is so good now at is yeah. because Ford has
4: fostered loyalty among the students to him. Fascinating to see if they'll be able to get any fans to their games. Yeah. As you
2: know, we're season ticket
4: holders, and we're going to buy the season. No, no, I just don't. We're going. I I would assume what will happen is that uh, season ticket holders will get the first crack. You know, they Mm -hmm. they say, okay, we're allowed to have X amount of percentage of fans in the stands, and season ticket holders get the first crack, and away we go. And they'll have a a good plan. I know that with
2: Matt Katie, their ticket director, and Chris May and the group, they'll have a great plan
4: at SLU. We're looking forward to the show. So uh, talking some football, and obviously we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Gold Glove situation with Yachty, and, well, three others are finalists, so that's a uh, good thing. Yachty is not a finalist, and... The numbers bear it out. He's not in 2020, so we'll get into that a little bit and why it uh, it goes that way, and then talk about Game 3 of the World Series, too. All right, looking forward to that. Scott Manziara, our producer-engineer, have a great weekend,
2: sir. Thank you. How are You too, Randy. <laughs> Michelle, you have a great weekend. What are you doing?
3: You know, working out, drinking a lot of water, oh. watching some online football. Doing the football, hashtag 75 hard. World Series action. ILL. I&I.
2: There we go. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Have a great weekend. And for all of us, until Monday morning at 7, take care, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.